Episode 231, Mitch Unfiltered, Hotshot Scott gets his job back. It was close. It was very close, Hotshot Scott, because Graz was terrific. I'm just saying. Oh, I'm just I saying. Heard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I listened. It's big shoes to fill. He's a radio. He was calling play-by-play play at like eight. How can I compete with a guy like that? Jesus. By the way, when you when you think of a teenage Graz, oh, do you God. picture a teenager or no. do you just picture Graz? No. <laughs> same here. I, same, I just picture Graz. Same guy as you always seen all these years. Exactly. Yeah. I with think an it, insanely low voice at 15. Yes. He came out of the womb looking exactly the way he looks yes, right now. That's, that's exactly right. How, God, what a story, by the way, huh? How was Spokane, Washington, Hotshot? How'd they do? How'd the, how'd the girls do? Well, uh, the defending state champions went uh, two and two, but... They probably should have gone three and one. They blew a game. Um, but I, I watched the championship game, and I don't think they're beating that team. So it was probably about right. Okay. They, they lost their best player and their coach from last year. So not quite the team they were, but, you know, it was all right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad she did it, and they won a couple games. And everybody had fun. Yes, it was a good time, as always. Hey, I mean, you, you know, you have kids that go through sports. You have yes. those milestones that end in your life. Little League ended four, and now select basketball ended right. five straight years of it. Now it's like, all right, well, that was fun, so a little bittersweet. It's kind of the way it works, Hot Shot. It's kind of the Turns way it out. works. Yeah. That's right. Mitch yes. Unfiltered, yeah, episode 231, available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. We need some new reviews, ladies and gentlemen. New reviews on the Apple Podcast app. Five-star ratings, please. Bonus shows every week. The Mariners note table is coming. The Kraken note table is coming. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month. If the five bucks is a problem, just email Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Shoot me a note. Tell me, and I will take care of you like Rob did. Hot shot. Dear Mitch, I want to become a P1 listener. I lost my job in December and have had the time to listen to your great podcasts. My two close friends have been telling me to join. Are you able to waive the fee until I find my next job? No worries if you're not able to. I used to listen to you every morning on 950. Sports radio is not the same anymore. Also, I remember the early 1990s of Sonic's television broadcasts. You were great from Rob. See? No job, Rob. Well, here's the thing. You, you don't have to go through all of these compliments. To <laughs> You're not looking for a pound of no, flesh, are you? No. no. I appreciate okay. all that Rob yeah. wrote. He probably didn't right. mean any of it. True. He probably just wanted the, 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 the Mitch Unfiltered patron shows for free. And all he had to do was say, dear Mitch, until my next job, can you waive the fee? And I would have taken care. You don't need to go through how you love the morning show. You think my right. nose is small. You, <laughs> you love the way yeah. I interview people. You love my Sonics broadcast. You don't have to go through the whole song in a dance. All you got to do is write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and say, hey, I've fallen on some hard times. I can't do the $5 a month. Can you help right. me out? And that's it. That's all you need. Nothing more. I've been jobless a couple times the past few years, so we get it, Rob. You don't yeah, have to grovel. You don't have it. to do any of that. That's it. And by the way, he, he said he loved you in the early 90s, but I think he got to town in 94. Correct. Which would be the mid-90s, but okay, okay. whatever. You, you, Who's te counting? you tend to lop it on thick when you want the free shows, <laughs> and you don't that's have to true. lop it on at all, okay? Dear yeah, Mitch, right. dear Mitch, I thought Graz was great on your show, and I'm not even the biggest Graz fan. I do wish you would have included the Vikings coach Bud Grant on your RIPs. Yeah, we forgot a couple of people on RIPs that we'll mention this week. Signed Mike. 
So a non-Graz fan thought Graz was great on uh, on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's sort of a, a function of the format of radio. I don't know, because what do you mean? when you hang out with Graz, like at a poker game, there's nobody yeah. funnier. Like, Gross is the funniest human ever when you're just hanging out and talking to him. On his radio show, I don't find myself, like, laughing. I never, I never thought it was a funny show, even though I love the Gross. Does that make yeah. any sense? But on the podcast, it felt like he was kind of more himself. And he, a couple swear words came out, which is interesting. I don't know. Was he more himself? I, I, I guess I didn't listen completely back to it, having done it. It felt like just the Gross. I, I don't know. So you're saying the Graz, the podcast version of Graz is better than the radio version of Graz? I think it's a little different, yeah. And it's not like he's a fraud who was completely different on the radio, but I think he just comes from the old school, buttoned up radio guy, and he's just a little more professional on the radio. And he gets on this thing, you can slum it for an hour or so and right. let it fly, you know, because right. he's on this cockamamie thing. Right. Little stump the band for you, Hotshot Scott, to begin as we warm up on this episode 231. Little, uh, little stump the band. Are you ready? Sort of. A study has come out. Employers are out $17 billion this year. Thanks to what? Stump hmm. the band. Employers are out $17 billion due to a new study this year. Thanks to what? Well, it's a little early. I was going to say the NCAA tournament. People staring at their computers all day long, but you it's got kind of it. early for that. You, no, you got Is it. Is that it? Really? Yeah. The cost of lost worker productivity wow. for employers due to March Madness will reach an eye-popping amount this year. Challenger, Gray, and Christmas estimated in the report that was released on Tuesday. The global outplacement firm estimated that employers will see $17.3 billion in costs from lost productivity from workers (laughs) distracted by college hoops. The figure accounts for employees doing things like brackets, watching games on the clock amid the more than two weeks worth of work days in which the NCAA tournament coincides. And I would think, by the way, that on the West Coast... That number is greater than it is on the East Coast because some of these games that start at 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock East Coast time after work are 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock Pacific right. time, right? Yeah, for sure. So so what's the next logical step then, employers? Just make <laughs> Thursday and Friday a goddamn holiday. Let's go. <laughs> Let's just get to it right now. Well, I mean, you're already losing money. That way you can keep the lights off, save oh a little money God. there. Have everyone stay home and let's make it a holiday. God, I think there are a lot of people that agree with you right now. I think a lot of people are saying, amen, <laughs> brother. So awesome. That's why you brought Hot Shot back. Right there. Yeah, right. That's why we kicked Cross to the curb. Right there. <laughs> That's right. There's nothing like the NCAA tournament. Have you been watching? I know you've been busy with work and with girls sports. Have you been watching the NCAA? How exciting is it to watch upsets? Is there anything like a 16, like Fairleigh Dickinson University beating Purdue or a 15, like Princeton beating Arizona? There's just nothing in the sports calendar year that kind of rivals this. It's just different. It's different than everything else that we enjoy, isn't it? I have been watching and you're right. It's not even close. You can't even compare any other sport or tournament or postseason game or anything with it. It's just, it's almost not a fair fight. Right. I mean, how do you compete with this many games going on and upset? Remember, we used to think a 12 beating a five. Oh, every year a 12 is going to beat a five. Watch out. Yeah. Hey, we got 16s winning now. It's yes. crazy. Yes, there was a time that people thought that a 16 would never beat a one. And yeah. now it's happened, what, twice in the last five years. Now, if you're a Purdue fan, you might say, what happened to Virginia the year after they lost to a 16 seed? 
Yeah, they won it all. They won the national championship. So maybe sure maybe that's some solace for the people in uh, West Jeez. Lafayette, Indiana. I don't know. I guess, the, I guess the flip side, you don't hear this argument very much, but the flip side argument is this. Do we really, truly crown a national champion by making it a one and done on a neutral floor? Like if we played best two out of three, if all these single games were best two out of three, Instead of one game on a neutral floor, yeah. would we have different national champions every single year than we actually get? It's a great question. Probably. You probably would. I, I, I think that in a longer series, the cream tends to rise to the top a little bit more. You know, right. But you know, even the, with the talent would shine through. But even with all of the upsets, it seems like once you get to the final four, you end up with chalk anyway and a national champion that typically is chalk. You don't get very many. I guess UConn won it when they were, what, eight or seven, uh, one of those UConn teams. But but even with yeah, all of the early UConn, round ups. Though, right? I mean, it's yeah, still a still good program. UConn. That's right. So, yeah. I don't know that the results would be all that different if you played series instead of one game. But I tell you, these one games, one game on a neutral floor. And, you know, they say neutral floor. But take it from me as a guy who went for 25 years with my dad. I can promise you <laughs> yeah. this. Eight teams go to each region, right? There's eight regions, yep. eight teams. So eight sets of, of tickets are sold. Seven-eighths of the arena always cheering for the underdog. Oh, good point, yeah. One-eighth of the arena is always cheering for the favorite because it's their team. <laughs> it's their alma right. mater. Everybody true, else yeah. in the arena, seven-eighths of the arena is always cheering for for the underdog. And so, is it a neutral floor? I don't really think it's a neutral floor. It's kind of a it's kind of a road game for the better team, for the higher seeded team. It's more of a road game than a that's right. than a neutral floor. It's almost a disadvantage in a it way is. for the team with the higher seed. It is. It totally <laughs> yeah. is. I've been there, I've <laughs> seen it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Episode 231, the guests on episode 231. The last time you were with us, Hot Shot, 2 weeks ago on episode, I guess it would have been 229. I went on a rant about what in segment one? Oh, about the uh, guy trying to break the all-time scoring record in the NCAA, uh, in the history of the NCAA. That's right. The guy on Detroit Mercy, it looked like was going to get one extra game that they were going to pay to play in a, in a distant tournament in Daytona Beach, Florida, just to break Pete Maravich's all-time NCAA. And I was outraged because Pete Maravich did it with, in three years with no shot right. clock and no three-point shot. And this guy was trying to add a game after five years. <laughs> yeah. So I was outraged. Well, on this episode, 231, Jason Maravich, the son of Pete Maravich, joins us to talk Whoa. about his father's record and to talk about how offended he was. Now, I, I, I'm assuming you know the, the PS to the story. I don't. Tell me. They were not invited to that tournament. There, there was no extra game the record will not be broken by this guy anyway. Wow. And Pete Maravich's record is safe. And we think it happened because the CBI, the tournament in question, was getting a lot of flat. I think there were a lot of people like me who were like outraged that they're going to invite a 14 and 19 basketball team just so the guy right. can break the record. How contrived is that? So as it turns out, they didn't invite Detroit Mercy the CBI went on without him. That guy's college career is over, and Pete Maravich's record is safe. And now you can sleep. Finally, now you can, I can sleep, sleep knowing it's safe. So <laughs> I, I reached out to Jason Maravich, Pistol Pete's oldest son. 
Yeah. And uh, we had a nice chat. I think you'll find very interesting about how he and his family felt about this whole thing as it was moving along. A very interesting chat with Jason Maravich. Steve Phillips, the former Mets GM, Sirius XM and Major League Baseball Network. How good will the Mariners be? That's the question. You asked him that question during the shortened COVID season. I did. And I remember walking my dog and listening to it and yes. him letting us know there's no scenario where the Mariners could, even in the shortened season, have the talent to pop. So I'm curious to see what he says now. Well, that's a couple seasons a ago, right? Yeah, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just remember being disheartened that, like, not even close. But no now, matter, there's not even a chance. But now everybody loves the Mariners. They do. And I don't want to point out, I really don't want to point out that on the day that we're recording this, the Sunday, <laughs> I know a certain left fielder had a triple and a single. <laughs> To raise his spring training batting average to 421. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he's I, now, I by the way, the he's now hitting second in the lineup behind Julio. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember when those guys were two and five top uh, prospects. I was like, please just let one pop. If both of them pop, I'm not going to be able to control myself. It's like dream come true if they both happen to pop. Well, one has popped. Yes. Have both of them? No. No. No, they have not. Okay. No. So when if both of them do, oh, come on. You, I, I will be over the moon. Yep. Uh, I'm just saying there's I a know. guy that's playing for the Mariners <sighs> who's got four or five home runs. He's hitting 421, and he's playing left field. And now instead of batting eight, eight or ninth, he's batting second. Unreal. Steve Phillips is guest number two. We'll talk about how good the Mariners will be this season. And then the always entertaining, our old friend, Tracy Taylor oh, returns. She's damn well pissed at you and me. Actually, she's pissed yeah. at me. We promised her a lunch. It was like more than a year ago that she was on Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> was it really that long ago? I think it was, and she still hasn't gotten wow. the lunch. And I keep telling her the only reason you haven't gotten the lunch is Scott's very busy. He's very, right. very busy. He's got a new yep. job, and you're just going to yeah. have to be, just be patient with Scott, please. Yeah. And then you'll get your Man. lunch. So. Tracy time Taylor's flies back. when you don't hang out with Tracy. <laughs> it's been said many a time. <laughs> God, I know. I I saw her tweet shit. Not uh, it's like out of the blue. Like, don't you have a job too? What are you thinking about the lunch for? Let's get to work. What are you What are you taking a shot at us for out of nowhere? And now uh, all of her fans and her followers are like, "What's wrong uh, with Mitch?" And I have to now <laughs> respond to them and tell them that it's Scott's right. issue. He's very busy. It has That's nothing right, to I do am. with me. Anyway, yep. three guests on this episode, 231, Jason Maravich, Steve Phillips, and the always entertaining old friend, Tracy Taylor. So episode 231 is about to begin after a few words from our partners like Daniel's Broiler. You're going to hear Lindsay Schwartz identify his top seeds, Daniel's Bracket, the appetizer region, the steak region, the seafood region, even the dessert region, four locations all opened and ready to host your special occasion, gotta love Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, celebrating the new app in the NCAA tournament. $10 off every order, pickup, and delivery all the way through Championship Monday. All you need to do is order on the app with the code HOOPS10. 
Hoops 1-0, any location, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions. Fireside is the title sponsor of virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run, including the Masters Pool that's coming up shortly. Start your search for a brand new fireplace at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. And the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage, You'll hear on this show, Jordan Flowers did a mortgage a few weeks ago starting in the threes, 3%. He'll explain if you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, Jordan's team has creative packages to save you money. 425-890-2957. That's Jordan's personal phone. 425-890-2957. Episode 231, Hot Shot Scott is back, and we officially begin right now. Unfiltered. I've got Houston winning it all on karma. Kelvin Sampson lost his twin sister over the weekend. Houston's playing in the Final Four in Houston and calling his final, final four of his illustrious CBS career is Jim Nance. I know. Who went to the University of Houston. Unfiltered. This is the most important three or four weeks in this guy's professional life. If he can't get himself ready, I mean, what's he been doing since the combine to gain nine pounds? Has he been eating? Has he been is it been on that McDonald's diet that the other guy that was on my show is on? I mean, what? Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 231 is now officially underway with my friend Hotshot Scott. Back in the saddle. You're back from Spokane, Washington, home of... Yes, sir. Home of the Zags. And you just ask anyone in that town. Oh, my God. Are they on fire for that team? Every bar, billboards all over. I kind of forget when I drive into Spokane. I'm like, oh, yeah. Forgot where I am. I'm here. So, yeah, I'm back. (laughs) Well, much to most of our chagrin, well, I shouldn't say most of our, much to my chagrin, I don't know about you, they have qualified for the Sweet 16 again. Again, they go to the Sweet 16 with the weasel mark few. I thought maybe TCU had them in the early going, but I I really would not like to begin episode 231 (laughs) with Gonzaga. Is that okay? Can I, can I take a step back and talk about something else? Let me talk about me. Let me talk about somebody who was not in the NCAA tournament. Let me talk about my favorite guy, Jim Beheim, who was forced out at Syracuse after the end of the season, after the end of the ACC tournament. Although he'll have you believe that it was all his doing. I, I think it was pretty clear that the university had decided to go in a different direction. I haven't spoken a lot about that, and I really don't want to talk about his exit because people don't care in our audience about Jim Beheim's exit. There's another part to the story that a lot of people don't know that I think is very interesting, sad, upsetting, but interesting and might be interesting to you and our listeners. Syracuse radio station, afternoon drive time host, a guy by the name of Brent Axe, who I think does a very good job. Very, very good job. Brent Axe. I can see the dumb headlines now. Oh, God, I hope the papers were nice. Please don't. He picked up the phone on a Sunday night. He was enjoying... A Sunday night at home at the same Sunday that I was recording with the uh, the Graz, he picked up the phone and his boss, the CEO of the company that owns the radio station in Syracuse, where he's the afternoon drive host, hot shot, you're fired. Yeah, never good when that guy's calling you. Don't report to work tomorrow. We don't need you. Don't report oh. to work on Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay, what about Wednesday? Not Thursday, Wednesday, Friday. not Thursday, Thursday no? Friday. Weekend gig, nothing? Okay. Brent Axe gets the axe in a phone call. Yeah. 
by the station's owner on a Sunday night. Radio loves doing that. I would love to meet the the person who screwed over the radio station by going on the air and swearing after he was fired. It was probably right. one person, and then from then on, no one's allowed to go on and say goodbye <laughs> to their listeners ever again, right? One guy went on and went, ah, fuck you, shut shit up. So, and that was it. So you must be thinking to yourself, and our listeners must be, must be thinking, what does this have to do with Jim Beheim? Yeah. Just because Jim Beheim is no longer the coach of Syracuse anymore, what does that have to do with Brent Axe, a guy that you like, Mitch, and you like his radio show, getting fired on a Sunday night? Well, Brent Axe was one of the very few hotshot okay. that was willing to be critical of Jim Beheim on the radio over the last couple of years when Jim Beheim deserved it. Okay? okay. And yeah. I don't want you to get the wrong visual of somebody yelling and screaming and yapping and, you know, somebody, the mic and the mat. I don't want you to get the wrong yeah. idea. I want to I want to create a visual for you. Okay. He was not an angry host. He was not an antagonistic host. He was not off the cuff. He was not taking cheap shots. He yeah. was always very calm, well presented, okay. but he was critical of Jim Beheim when somebody in that town needed to be critical of Jim Beheim. And by the way, he was positive too. When they would win games and, and Beheim would do a good job. He was positive about the program on those nights, too. But he was willing to take a stand against the zone, against Jim Beheim. Does the program need to go in a different direction? Is enough enough after 47 years? He was willing to ask those hard questions. But and, he's not some, some gimmicky guy who loves no. to get people's ire up by screaming in the mic or right. being Pharrell or right. anyone like that. And now... Like a shot of beer up there in the Northwest. That's right. And now okay. he's out of a job. Jeez. What's the rest of the story, Mitch? The station is owned by a company called Galaxy Media. Okay. I guess a small radio company that owns these stations, headed by a guy by the name of Ed Levine. Ed Levine is the owner and the CEO of Galaxy Media, and he's the one who called Brent Axe. Personally, on Sunday night. address or no? Because I got a good resume. I'd like to shoot him. <laughs> I don't think let you, me know. I mean, that's that's neither no. here nor there, but let me know. No, but. I don't think you want to work for Ed Levine. Yeah, I don't okay, think you want to work with Ed Levine because I'm going to tell you <laughs> why Ed Levine fired Brent Axe. Okay. There's he actually addressed this in the Syracuse newspaper, addressed the dismissal of Brent Axe. But before I tell you what Ed Levine said... There's another part to the story that you need to know. All right. 21% of the ownership of Galaxy Media oh, no. involves an investor, a set of investors, one of which is named... Do you want me to say it? <laughs> Jim Beheim. Good Jim, God. Jim Beheim oh. is actually an owner of this company that owns the radio station that is now firing... The Afternoon Drive host. You said 21% Beheim owns? No, I think it's a group of investors, including Jim Beheim, that okay, own, who own 21%. But the point is, how yeah. can a local radio station <laughs> that's essentially, God. especially the sports station, how can a local sports station in Syracuse, New York, which basically is the, exists to talk about, yeah. to objectively analyze Syracuse basketball, how can that station have Jim Beheim as an investor, as an owner? How could that be? Right. What could possibly go wrong with that going on? I heard another podcast guy say it would be like it would be akin to a station covering Seattle City Hall, a radio station that covers Seattle City Hall 
And the mayor is one of the owners of the radio station. <laughs> right. I mean, you can't, I mean it's right. ridiculous. It's right, ridiculous. Two things. First, I can't believe you figured out how to listen to a podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> Second, it would be like if, what if George Carl was a part owner of KJR when you started? Well, there? they kind of were. I mean, the Sonics were, were, were half owners of KJ. Yeah, Barry but not him no. personally. I That's mean, right. Barry wasn't going to fire you for taking That's a right. shot at George Carl. Right. But if George was one of the owners. That's right. That's that, exactly You would have been right. there like four days. That's exactly right. So yeah. Galaxy President CEO Ed Levine is contacted by the newspaper. And instead of saying, I've got no comment about personnel matters at my radio stations, which most GMs would say, most CEOs, most owners, he actually went into depth and admitted it. God. He admitted the whole thing, which either makes him admirable or yeah. just the most stupid clown on the face of the earth. Here's right. what he said. What the quote? Here's the quote. I had a problem with the content of the show. I'm an SU fan. I'm a Syracuse fan. I'm sorry, but I bleed orange and I'm not going to apologize for that. I understand that we have a business relationship with Syracuse University and that Coach Jim Beheim and I are personal friends and he's an investor in my company. I just think over the past six months, it took a different tone and became overly dark and negative. I don't think that's what Syracuse fans want to hear. Is he sure? Ugh. Yeah. If they don't want to hear that, there's no ratings, right? The ratings are 0.0. .0. No one would listen if they don't want to hear it. Anyway, he goes on to say, Brent is a full-time employee of the Syracuse newspaper. I believe that Syracuse.com, the newspaper, has an agenda in regards to Syracuse University. I don't know what that agenda is, but that agenda was manifesting itself on our airwaves. We have no agenda. Now, would you call... What he's doing with that radio station, making it a cheerleading radio station, no agenda. That sounds like an agenda to me. Oh, by right. the way, here's the capper. Here's the capper. There's even more that's fun. Okay. Levine also announced that his friend Jim Beheim will be making regular appearances on the radio station <laughs> in this first year after retirement. Oh, boy. You talk God. about a ratings grabber. Put that guy in front of a mic. Holy well, no, hell. he's actually he's actually very... He's actually very entertaining, or can be very entertaining. I'll give him that. But you talk about a story that stinks to high hell. For sure. I mean, popular, I I... popular talk show host. Popular talk show host. <laughs> yeah. Gets fired right after Jim Beheim gets fired. He's the only guy who's negative about Jim Beheim. Beheim owns part of the radio station. He's dismissed. And now Jim Beheim will be on the station regularly over the course of the next couple of years. Hey, it's Jim in the morning. Welcome to it today. Jim Beheim coming at you. I mean, what if you oh, kissed God. Pete Carroll's ass for four hours a day or the Mariner's ass? Would, would anyone want to hear your show? I mean, you, you can't get ratings that way. Is that what they, is that, I'll ask you. Is that what your listeners would have wanted, you think? A big kiss-ass session. Well, a lot of listeners do. A lot of listeners want a big kiss-ass station. A lot of listeners really? want your... Yeah, there are a lot of listeners that want okay. their favorite radio station to, to blow smoke. There are a lot of listeners that want objective. There are other listeners that might want, you know, a more critical set of analysis. But this is a problem that's existed in radio for a long time. It's not typically the coach who has an ownership in the station. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's more a problem for stations that are flagship stations that carry uh, the broadcast. You know, it's just a yeah. It's a tough relationship because you're trying to you're trying to ride the fine line. Be able to be critical, be able to be fair, be able to be objective, but not be too harsh to where you piss off your partner. Your partner, yeah. right? 
And so yeah. that's been a problem for years in radio. And there's been a lot of a lot of stations that have had trouble with that over the years, including ours when we were owned by the Sonics and also when we were partners of the Sonics. The Sonics didn't want to get up and listen to nothing but bashing of the Sonics. But mm-hmm. I just think that this story is just really, really messy, really sad. I feel terrible for Brent. Yeah. I really like him personally. I really like his show. Hopefully somebody will give him another opportunity. And what I said to him, I'll say to you, and we'll finish up with this topic because this topic went too long already. Jim Beheim actually was in a perfect situation to win a lot of his detractors in Syracuse, New York over with this story. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Yeah, what do you mean? So now he's out, right? He's out. He's not going to be yep. the coach of Syracuse University. This guy gets fired. Everybody knows that he's a critic of, of Jim Beheim. Beheim, all he had to do to win people over was pick up the phone, call Ed Levine. If Jim Beheim asked Ed Levine to jump, Ed Levine would ask, <laughs> how high would you like me to jump, sir? Okay? Right. Jim Beheim can do anything he wants with that guy and that company. And he should have picked up the phone and said, Ed, I want you to reinstate Brent. Hmm. And then he could have been quoted as saying something like, I don't like or agree with a a lot of what Brent has said over the past few years on the radio. But what's more important is that Brent is entitled to his own opinion and the city of Syracuse is entitled to a range of shows and viewpoints because that's what sports and journalism are all about. End quote. Jim Beheim would have come across as taking the high road, being the classy one, and yeah. he would have, as I said, he would have won a lot of people's respect. And it would have cost him, how much does that cost him? Well, what does that cost right. him to do? He's not going to be coaching next year, so he's not going to be at the center of Brent Axe's criticism anymore. He's right. out. It would have cost him yeah. nothing, but he's so self-centered. He's so much about Jim Beheim that he can't take a step back and see kind of the errors of his ways. He's got a family. He's probably got mouths to feed. Right. And it's just like, this is, I mean, there's been a lot of radio people that have said a lot of stupid shit who deserve to get fired, right? We've heard story after story. This does not seem at all like one of them. A guy who probably loves Syracuse, bleeds orange himself, but just wants to give both sides every once in a while. This Correct. is why he gets let go. And that's all he was. Nah, it sucks, man. I feel bad for him. I, I don't know if you know what it feels like to get let oh, go I from do. a radio station. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> But I do. I remember sitting there and it was awful. It's just the worst feeling. It's just like, like in the movies, they make it like things go blurry and all you hear is your ears ringing. You can't really pay attention. That's exactly how it feels when you get fired. It's it's terrible. So I feel sorry for Brent, especially a guy who didn't do anything wrong as far as I'm concerned. In fact, he did everything right. He did everything right. right. Yeah. He was trying to build a good show. He did. forbid. And he did build a good show. A show, really the only show that I would actually listen to on that radio station. And I think a lot of people felt the same way as me. Anyway, let's segue to the Seahawks and and John Schneider getting out the caulking gun. Do you remember the, (laughs) do you remember the Saturday Night Live skit? Yes. The caulk segment like 15 years ago on Saturday. Do you have any memory of that? Of course, yes. Very, It was very childish and, and very <laughs> immature, and uh, I loved every second of it. So, yes, of course I remember. I love that skit. So what you need to do is take your caulking gun and place a thin bead all along the crack like this. Okay. So, Tyler, what you're doing, this is for the audience at home, you are filling that crack up with caulk. That's right. <laughs> 
my cock in the crack. I'm standing there, now what do I do? Well, that's a common question. Watch. I'm going to use a little bit of pressure and work the cock into the crack with my index finger. Oh, you make it seem so easy. Wow, anytime I'm around cock, it's a recipe for disaster. Anyway, he's filling cracks. General manager of the Seattle Seahawks is filling cracks with his caulking gun. And I don't know. I don't know whether he's using the right caulk. And Mm -hmm. I don't know whether he's using enough caulk. Yeah. But uh, I kind of like the fact that he seems to be taking on each issue directly, head on, during free agency as we walk towards the draft. I mean, I'm not a handyman, but you got to use the right right (laughs) caulk for the right... Right. Gap. That's right. all I know. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. exactly okay. right. Now, yeah. obviously, he's not going to go out and be able to get every single best player available right. at the positions because the, the NFL is not set up that way. But uh, quickly, let's let's run through what he did, which is kind of interesting. He went out and he signed Draymond Jones, a combo defensive tackle and defensive end from the Broncos. Three years, 51 million, 6'3", 281, a 26-year-old out of Ohio State. And he was on a very good Denver defense, and a lot of people like him. And he's still young, 26 years old. And yeah. as we know, the Seattle Seahawks have a blatant crack for caulk <laughs> yes. at the defensive line position. He also brought back Jaron Reed. I don't know how you feel about that. Late in his career yeah. to play a couple of more years at defensive tackle, defensive end, where have you. I like Jaron. He played well for Kansas City. Over yeah. the course of the last year in the, in the run to the Super Bowl. Devin Bush, a linebacker. They've got a huge need at linebacker with Jordan Brooks hurt and Cody oh. Barton out the door. I was willing to drive him to the airport. <laughs> you, you were holding the door open for him, and I was giving him the old foot-in-the-rump routine. Yes. Right, but they, need, kid. but they need linebackers because their best linebacker yeah. may not be ready for the start of the season or actually looks like he won't be ready for the start of the season. So they went out and they got Devin Bush from the Steelers. He was the 10th overall pick in 2019. Kind of an underachiever with the Steelers. Hurt his knee a couple of years ago. Hopefully he can revive his career in Seattle. So they put some caulk in the linebacker crack. Um, Evan Brown they signed from the Lions, who's a cheap interior offensive lineman. Apparently can play both guard and center, though John Schneider said on 710 this past week that he's a better center than he is a guard. He's actually a natural center. So there may be your answer as to Uh-oh. the next set. They needed a new center. I don't know. I, I think I want more. I think I want somebody That's, in the draft. I was going to say, that ain't your answer. You are in love with one man and one man well, only. Well, I, I, not necessarily. I mean, I, okay. I, I feel like they need to go get more of a stud. I don't know that Evan Brown is a stud for what they're paying him and his demand on the market. It doesn't appear to me that he's a stud. So I'm not sure they're done with the center position. And maybe Evan Brown is just kind of a a backup guard center who can come in at either the guard positions or the center position and play in a pinch. I'm kind of hoping he's not the answer at center, but we'll see. And then they went out and they got Julian Love from the New York Giants, two years, 12 million, a safety, who also has played corner which is pretty interesting, former fourth-rounder out of Notre Dame. Does this have any sort of ramifications for Jamal Adams? I think a lot of people are asking that very same question. Okay. Jamal Adams, is he progressing health-wise? Will he be ready to get to training camp? Will he be ready to, to play opening day? What about Ryan Neal? Is Ryan Neal coming back? 
Remember, if Jamal Adams isn't ready to play physically, then they better have some other answer. Right. Ryan Neal would be the appropriate answer, but he's been tendered and could sign somewhere else. They have a right to match Ryan Neal. So they felt like we better go get a safety to play with Diggs just in case the answer to Jamal Adams is he's not ready and we lose Ryan Neal. Well, let's say Jamal Adams is ready. There's no guarantee you're getting 16 games out of him. So to me, that's neither here nor there. If he's ready or not ready, we're going to get four games out of him. There are some people that are speculating that that Jamal Adams might get cut Hmm. because they could save a lot of money against the the cap after June 1st. I don't. I'm not buying too early for that. Really? Yeah. Oh my God! Considering what you paid up for him, not forget the contract, the package of draft choices that you gave the Jets to get him. I think you got to go at least one more year with him. That's my opinion. Those are the things that the Seahawks did. Gone are Travis Homer. Gone Cody Barton. Gone Rashad Penny. The Seahawks are going to look different. They're really going to look different. And we haven't gotten to the draft yet. The exciting draft where they have the fifth overall pick. Right. We're still waiting on the Arizona Cardinals. Still waiting on the Arizona Cardinals to maybe trade out of that third spot to a team that wants a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Because once the Cardinals do that, if they do that, and everybody's rumoring yeah. that they're going to do that, that means that everybody in front of them, one, two, three, and four, oh, be so great, would probably take quarterbacks and it would give them the choice, the pick of the non-quarterback litter, any non-quarterback, any defensive player, any non-quarterback you want in the entire draft if they don't trade down. A so, couple months ago, if I said, "Hey, Mitch." Uh, would you like the Seahawks to have their pick of any defensive player they want yeah. in the draft? I mean, yeah. how excited would you have been for that? I would have been very excited with that because yeah, it's crazy. In my mind, there's one guy that stands out. And now, with all the problems that the defensive tackle's having at Georgia, with yeah. his workouts and not being in shape and gaining nine pounds since the combine and the the issues with the driving situation, I think really there's one guy that stands out. And that's the linebacker, Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama. And a month and a half ago, had you asked me whether I thought at five that the Seahawks were going to get him, I would have said no. Now, with the Carolina trade and the Indianapolis trade and all of these different trades, Arizona's the problem. Arizona. If Arizona stays at three, Arizona's going to take Will Anderson. And then the Seahawks are going to have to make a decision. Do we want somebody else at five or do we want to trade down? That's what's going to happen. That's why we all should be picking up our phones, picking up our newspapers, picking up our internets, hoping that we're going to read the headline that Arizona has traded their pick before they get on the clock and pick Will Anderson right from underneath the Seahawks' nose. I'll never forgive John Schneider and Pete Carroll if they blow the fifth pick in the draft. They're not going to blow the fifth pick. Well, if they pick a guy who who sucks and doesn't materialize, I mean, you know, that's going to suck. You feel like a fifth pick, you you can't – how can you screw up a fifth pick? They're not going to screw up the fifth pick. Okay, well, I hope you're right. They're not going to screw up the fifth pick because I think they're either going to get Will Anderson, and he's the best defensive player in the draft, and if he doesn't work out, that's not their fault. Anybody would have picked Will Anderson with the fifth pick. Uh, They're either going to pick Will Anderson or they're going to trade down. And add picks. So they're not going to screw up the fifth pick. They might screw up the eighth, the 10th, the 20th, the 37th, the 51st. But I don't think that they're going to screw up the fifth pick. Okay? Okay. All right. Let's get good to know. 
Let's get three interviews in here, and then we'll do the yep. other stuff segment on episode 231. Hey, look who it is. Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, my favorite place for special occasions. How's everything going over there at Daniel's, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch, it's going great. Month of February, Valentine's Day, of course. Super busy night for us. Great month for us. We're excited for February. You know, it's award season in the NFL. And I thought, let's give out some awards to the Daniel's Broiler menu. Are you ready to humor me on this? Let's do it. Okay. Geno Smith was recently named the comeback player of the year in the National Football League. Is there a comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler? You know, I love it. I love it, Mitch. There actually is, believe it or not. No, there clearly is. Okay. And it's it's the oysters on the half shell. It's the raw oysters. It was uh, Daniel's staple for years. Very popular item. And during the pandemic, it was harder to get. You know, we were open for a while, closed for a while, open for a while. It, it was just too difficult to manage. And uh, we missed it. And we finally brought them back this past year. Of course, has been a huge hit, a uh, huge comeback comeback player of the year for sure raw oysters on the half shell the comeback player of the year at daniels now we've got two great rookies on the seahawks Tariq woolen ken walker and others is there a rookie of the year a newer item on your menu that gets acclaim Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with the Piedmontese filet imported from Italy. It's grass fed, a little bit different texture than what you're used to and and really delicious. One of my favorites. Got to be the rookie of the year. And then there's the biggest of the big, the most prestigious award, the MVP, the most valuable player, or in your case, the MVI, the most valuable item on the Daniels broiler menu. And it goes to which one? I mean, we got to go with the old stand. By we got to go with the number one selling thing on the menu. We're a steakhouse. We're known for steaks, and the best seller is the filet mignon. It comes in two sizes: the eight ounce, the twelve ounce. Can't beat it. it, it it's the goat. It's the Tom Brady of Daniel's Broiler, and uh, I just don't know how anything else could be the MVP. The ribeye doesn't compete, huh? I mean, they're all good. I got nothing bad to say about any of them. But you asked me for the MVP. I like I said, I, I got to go with the goat. The filet mignon is the MVP. MVP, the rookie of the year is the Piedmontese and raw oysters on the half shell. The comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. You heard me spill my guts on the show. What looked like the end of Pistol Pete Maravich's owning of the all-time college scoring record. Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercy, a five-year player, was poised to break it. 3,667 points in kind of a contrived, added, undeserved game in the CBI basketball tournament. Cooler heads prevailed. Detroit Mercy was not invited and one of the most incredible accomplishments in any sport. Sports history remains untouched. Pete Maravich's son, Jason, has been outspoken about his dad's record and the near mistake that was made, and he joins us now on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, Jason? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. Are you relieved, would you say? Is that the right adjective? Yeah, that's definitely the right word. Uh, Relieved is 
for sure the word I would pick. It's been a long, I'd say probably about two weeks. I uh, I didn't even know about about it till I had a friend tell me about a month ago that there was someone closing it on the record, and I thought he was joking because I hadn't heard any. I hadn't heard the media covering it or anybody. And then I started following it more and then found out about it and then started getting calls. And then I I made a post on Facebook and then the thing just exploded. And then it really became a uh, a big deal. Yeah. How many interviews have you done, Jason? Uh, 15. <laughs> 15 in the last 10 days, I think. So he needed like 26 points in the last game to tie your dad. And he scored, right. I think he scored 26, or he scored 23 out of the 26, and he was three points right. short. And it looked like what they were going to do was they were going to buy their way into a tournament, a little-known tournament in Daytona Beach, so that he could have the one extra game, and of course he would score the three points and break the record. Right. And that would have felt how to you and your family, Jason? For, I mean, for me personally, it would have felt like a, like a scam, absolutely shameful. Um he had played in 144 games, 61 more games than my dad had done five years compared to three years. So, I mean, if you couldn't break it by then, I don't feel like an extra game, especially when you have to pay for to get in. I don't understand how the NCAA would even count that towards his progress. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sounded like a big AAU tournament where you pay to get in. I just, I didn't, I didn't understand that way of thinking. Plus the other thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was the fact that they were 14 and 19, and I don't think you should be rewarded for losing. It would, it would be obvious if they did get invited why, but I'm glad that they, uh, the people running the tournament actually you know, didn't reward that because I think it would have been uh, – the way it would have been broken would have been really, I think, a disgrace personally. And you got to remember for our listeners who didn't hear me talk about it a couple of shows ago, five years for – not that he's not a great player and a good guy, five years – for Antoine Davis with a three-point shot, three years because right. you couldn't play freshman basketball for Pistol Pete with no three-point shot, no shot clock either. So this is this is not even comparing apples to apples. I mean, I, it would have been terrible if they had played the extra game. Let me ask you this. As you became aware, as your family became aware that a guy was closing in on the on the career scoring record, how about if he had broken it in the final game of the season, but it was over five years in all these different conditions, Jason. How would you and your family have felt? I gave a bunch of interviews. Uh, well, one, I want to say I've never badmouthed the kid once. I've, I don't have any ill will towards him at all. From all accounts, I've heard he's a good kid. I had given a bunch of interviews before the conference tournament, and I was totally accepting of it. I always said it was an apples to orange comparison. I said there would there'd pretty much just be two records. I thought it would... Uh, uh, I thought that'd be like his record and then my dad's record, which I always look at as the real record. But what happened was after he didn't break in the conference tournament and then I thought it was over and then they came out with the CBI and that's when it really started rubbing me the wrong way. If he had done it in the course of the tournament, to me, that's more a natural thing. I still would have recognized it at two records, but I would have respected it a lot more as if, as if they had done it in this other tournament where you're basically paying to get the record for one extra game, which I thought would have been way worse than if he had done it through the conference tournament. Did anybody reach out to you or your family to be in attendance at that last tournament game that he yeah, was supposed um, to break? I think Antoine Davis's friend slash agent, I want to say, had uh, Facebook messaged me before the conference tournament, and he uh, he had messaged me about a day before the game and asked me if I wanted to be part of the celebration. And I was thinking, well, he was acting like it was a foregone conclusion. I said, well, he's still got to score 26. <laughs> Um, I mean, they just took it for granted, I guess. And then, you know, 
but I wouldn't have gone anyway, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I would have been happy for the kid. I really would have. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't happen. And then the CBI stuff talk started. And I've talked to journalists all over the country this week and not one person has ever heard of that tournament. I've heard of the tournament. It's been around for a few years. It's taken right. on a couple of different shapes and sizes, but it's kind of like the third tournament after the NIT. Yeah, it's almost like, I mean, I don't understand, I mean, how many tournaments, and then eventually I heard <laughs> there's this tournament called the PS8, I want to say, that's supposed to be in Florida that they couldn't get off the ground that they're going to do next year. That's only going to have eight teams, and I'm like, it's, it's. I mean, eventually they're just going to have a tournament for every team in the country. It's yeah. like, yeah. Jason, three years, over 44 points a game. Amazing. Right. No three-pointer. No shot clock. He played like 60 games less than Antoine. I mean, do the math on that. If he just scores his 44 game, which he would have scored more with the current conditions, but and he just scored his 44.7 a game over those 60 games that Davis played that he didn't play. We're talking about another 3,000 points, Jason. Yeah, and then (laughs) uh, the fact that his freshman year didn't count. Um, Two years after he had graduated, they started counting freshman points, which I don't understand why. I think it was a money thing, but that would have been another 800 points added to his total. And then uh, with the three-point line, Dale Brown, former LSU coach, had gone back and tracked all the statistics from the games. And with a three-point line, he would have averaged around – conservatively around 56 57 but that's not that's, that's not even taken into account like if he knew there was a three-point line he probably would have taken more shots from it so yeah 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 his, his numbers are uh they're not even video game numbers they're, they're hard to comprehend they really are jason i grew up in south florida and i was a big fan of the dolphins in the 70s when i was growing up as a kid okay and as you know the 1972 dolphins went undefeated and every time yeah. the last undefeated team falls in the NFL, they have a drink. <laughs> and, right. pe- and they've gotten a lot of pushback from that because there's a lot of people that say, hey, come on. Records are made to be broken. Let's not be salty if we're the record right. owner and it gets broken. There could be some people that hear you either today on this show or have read some of your remarks in the press that might be mm-hmm. saying something like that. Like, come on, Jason. Your dad was great. We all know your dad was great. We all know he did it under different conditions. But let's embrace more somebody breaking his record. What would you say to that? I can see it from both sides, actually. I, I do think records are meant to be broken, but I also think they're meant to be broken within within the so-called rules. Like, it, it would have been totally egregious if it had been broken this way. This was like a unique circumstance. To people that say that, if they go back and read my interviews before the conference tournament, I was actually very complimentary and accepting of it. I, I, I would have said they were two different records, but at the same time, I'm extremely uh, proud of what my dad accomplished and extremely uh, guarded about the stuff he did. I know even if his record had been broken, I know it wasn't going to take away anything he did. I realize that. But at the same time, I don't understand how someone could say to me, well, he played 60 more games, but we're going to give him another opportunity in a tournament where the team has to pay thirty to $50,000. To me, if that doesn't rub you the wrong way, I think there's something wrong because that's, to me, that's not the definition of a college athlete. Like, you shouldn't be paying to enter. A t- I don't know why they have a tournament where you have to pay to get in. I just don't understand that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And plus, my whole thing is, too, if the team had been 20 and 10, I would have no problem with them getting an invite to this thing. And to me, it's all about the win loss record. Like I just, I'm not, I, I will never 
budge on the fact that I think you should never be rewarded for losing. I just don't think it should happen. But I mean, other than that, like the Dolphins 72 record, I understand exactly where they're coming from. I think it's, I think it's good that they take pride in being the only team to ever go undefeated. I know how some people would look at that and see it wrong. I really don't. I think it's something they should be proud of. They've done something no one's ever done. If somebody did break it, then they would have to be fine with that. But I'm, I'm sure they would. But I mean, a lot of guys enjoy having, you know, that's what they were known for. It's right. a huge accomplishment. Right. You know, we're, we're having a conversation about the great pistol Pete Maravich. Jason is his son. Pete played for his father, a legendary coach. But most of our audience probably doesn't remember. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a certain age now. It's get, the, the years are getting away from us, Jason, to remember the way your dad played. And as they listen to this interview and they listen to 44.7 points per game and the all-time leading scorer, those that don't remember him might be thinking or might be visualizing just a pure scorer. They don't realize that the style that your dad brought to the game was even more impressive than the substance. He had the razzle-dazzle before anybody had the razzle. He passed the ball. Nobody creatively passed the ball around the back, through the legs, with spin. Nobody did those things like your dad. Maybe you can put into words for our listeners who have no idea what that looked like with Pete Maravich on the floor, both in college and in the pro game, Jason. I think people's minds would be blown if he was playing today. I really do. I think he was and I'll just relate it to basketball. I think he was so far ahead of his time in basketball. I've heard people say, uh, I was watching the Dan Patrick show where people were watching his highlights from LSU. And they said, it almost looks like you took somebody from the future and threw them back in the past. He was playing at a different speed. He was actually, in my opinion, a better passer and ball than he was a scorer. And that's very hard to comprehend because he was averaging 44 a game, but his passes and dribbling skills were off the charts. Like, I think if there was one player that ever defined entertainment as far as any kind of sport, it'd be him. Like, I think he knew that way back then he would, he wanted to win most importantly, but it, he also knew he wanted to put a show on for the fans. And he did that to unlike anyone I've ever seen. I've gone back and watched old, old clips and uh, some of the stuff he was doing was like mind boggling, especially Crazy. for the time. And to underscore your point about passing when they did a sculpture of him, that now is at LSU. I want to ask you why it took so long for them to put the thing up. But <laughs> when they when they did the sculpture, the guy who did the sculpture of him, you know, I thought 44.7 would have been 56 with a three-point line. I'll, I'll have him shooting the ball. Your family, you in particular, said, no, 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 no. We got to get him around the back. We got to get him passing the ball in the sculpture, mm-hmm. right? One, one of the, one of the uh, things that, to me encapsulated his game the most and really defined him was his unpredictability. Him coming down the lane, they used to say, like, if he was looking at you, you were never going to get the ball. If he wasn't looking at you, have your hands ready. Because he, he broke a couple people's noses in college with passes they weren't ready for. Because um, he would put some some mustard on those passes, and, and they would be – you never knew when you were going to get it. So I thought the behind-the-back pass summed him up perfectly because – that was like his style, the flash. And every time I've seen a statue of somebody, it's usually shooting or dunking. I've never seen someone with a behind the back pass. And I thought that was really cool and unique to him. So I'm I'm really glad it turned out that way, but I'm with you on the fact that it took way too long for that statue to get done there. There was people calling me 15 years ago saying, where's his statue? And I said, I don't know. So it was a long struggle, but uh, we finally got it up there. Thank God. Why? Why didn't they put it up originally? I don't know. 
we I couldn't get any answers from anybody. Some people have speculated, Jason, that it was because he never graduated. I had heard that. That that I mean, for, if that's true, to me, that's ridiculous. Yeah, he was very close to getting his uh degree and then left for the NBA draft and then um I never went back to school. But you're talking about the all-time college basketball score that the Assembly Center is named after him. I mean, right, right. If that's the reason not to put a statue up, to me, that's 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 a poor excuse. You were very young when he passed away. He passed away of a heart attack while playing in a in a pickup game. The game that he loved right. so much, the game that he dedicated his life to. You were very young. You, you you probably don't have much recollection of him on the on the floor. You have to go back to the videos, huh? Well, I, I got a I got I remember a couple trips. Like I was eight when he passed, but I would usually go on go on trips with him and my younger brother would have to stay home with my mom. So like I went to uh Seattle for the eighty seven slam dunk contest and uh Wow. That's where I met Michael Jordan and Magic and all them. And my dad knew all those guys. So that was a huge thrill for me. And uh, I was actually with him when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame in Springfield, too. So I have some memories of him for sure. How old would he be today? He would be, let's see, he'd be 75. Wow. Still a young man. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. I think about that all the time. Somebody had asked me what what would my dad have thought about this whole Antoine Davis thing, and I, I told him I said I think my dad would be cheering the kid on and would be would want him to break it. I really do. I don't, I don't think my dad was caught up in any of that stuff, especially later in his life. I understand that Jason Maravich played a little bit. What was the scouting report, John? What was the scouting report on him on Jason Maravich? Uh, yeah, man, I did. <laughs> I uh, I signed a NBA developmental league contract back in 2004. Played at uh, William Carey, a small school in Hattiesburg, and was two time. Well, first team All-American. I was, I was very fast, extremely quick. I had a very unorthodox shot, but I had, I had a lot of range. I would shoot 30, 35 feet out back in the day before anyone was really doing it. My dad taught me some stuff when I was younger. And then when he died, I started breaking all the rules he had taught me. So Uh-oh. I used to have a nice shot and then it turned into like a chicken <laughs> wing kind of thing. <laughs> not Jamal Wilkes. You're not talking that. Uh, I don't know if it was that bad, but, uh, I, I had, instead of backspin on the ball, I had side spin uh, and, uh, it was a very quick release, but, uh, I've told, I've been told by a lot of people they've never seen a shot like it. So it was unique. <laughs> my, my dad's jump shot was just picture perfect. He, he would get very high off the ground, had great form. My, my, my jump shot never looked like that. As I said to you off the air. I think the uh, the insanity of this story, there was something very good that came out of it. I think you'll agree that we get a chance to reminisce. We don't do it enough to reminisce about one of the most colorful, fantastic players in every sense of the word, Pete Maravich. In, in a lot of ways, he's underrated in terms of the and I mean, yeah, he's one of the all-time greats. He's a Hall of Famer, all of that. But I'm not sure he's not underrated, Jason, on some level. When you when you think back, when they talk about the great, sometimes he gets left out of the conversation. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I could be accused of being a little biased, but I really I really I'm not. I uh I think he was the pioneer for the way they play today. I really do. Like I think I think he's the most skilled basketball player that's ever played. When you talk about shooting, passing, and ball handling, those three combined. I felt like he was elite at all three levels. And uh, most guys are elite at one or two, but not all three. And I think because he played on really bad teams, I don't ever feel like he got his due. Yeah. Uh, like, for instance, the top 50 greatest thing in 97, me and my brother had to represent him because at the time he was the only one deceased on the list. 
he, him and Isaiah Thomas were the only guys on the list that didn't have a top 50 teammate. So he never played with, you know, he never really had help. A lot of these guys play with one or two other great all-time players. He sure. never had that. Sure. Uh, he, he got to Boston his last six months. He played with a rookie bird, but by then my dad's knees were shot. The reason I, I think my, uh, you can make the argument my dad was the most skilled player all ever too is because I don't think there was a reference point for him. I don't think there was anybody playing before him that he, that he stole their style or like, you know, right. I don't really, right. he was so far advanced from anyone in that time. Yeah. Like, and there's still drills they call them average drills to this day that him and Press uh, invented that have stood the test of time. So, I mean, I think I think he's underrated severely when it, when people talk about greats and I never hear his name. It's kind of it's kind of sad, but I feel like there's a lot of guys that played back then that were great great players. I don't think the NBA does enough to honor those guys. I really don't. I had forgotten that he played a year with Bird. I was going to say that a guy like Larry Bird, his age and the way he played. I would imagine uh-huh. that he grew up watching your dad. He probably idolized your dad when he was a kid. Yeah, Bird. Had, uh, I met Bird a couple of times, and Bird said he was the best ball handler he'd ever seen. Said he he couldn't comprehend how he could his ball handling skills were just off the charts. But yeah, they unfortunately they met Bird's rookie year and his last year in the league. So I mean, to see them two in their prime playing together would have been unbelievable. Unbelievable. Also, you know, got to meet Dr. J. They. Dr. J and my dad came close to playing together with the Hawks. They played together for about a month uh, before Dr. J went to the Sixers. And uh, Dr. J told me that they used to play one-on-one after practice every day. And he, he had said actually in his book, which I've read, that my dad was the most skilled player he's ever seen. Amazing. It always seems like my dad was on the cusp of, you know, being on winning teams or playing with guys. And he always just missed that mark. It, it's almost like he was, you know, he's born in the wrong time too. Yeah. I think if he was playing today, I think he'd be the most popular player in the league by far. You don't have to say anything more than everybody thinks he was the greatest ball handler of all time. And if the greatest ball handler of all time also scored 44.7 a game in college, and I think something like 25 or 26 a game in yeah. the NBA, <laughs> you don't have to say more than that. If, if a guy who was the greatest scorer was also the greatest ball handler, There's not much more to be said. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Maravich, very kind to us. The son of the great Pistol Pete, who remains, who remains the greatest scorer in college basketball history. One of the great players that's ever played our sport. Jason, what an honor. What a great privilege it is to talk to you. Let's do this again sometime. I would love to, Mitch. I really appreciate it. Time for another visit with Zeke's Pizza president, Dan Black. How are we doing, Dan? I'm doing good, Mitch. No nickname this time? No, 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 no. No nickname. I'm all business this time because the big dance is underway. It's hoops hysteria. And you guys at Zeke's actually have a special throughout the tournament at all locations on the app. Tell us, Dan. Yeah, we have a great special going. So the whole tournament. It's $10 off your order for all pickup and delivery orders when you order through the app. All you got to do is download the app at the App Store or Google Play, which is super easy. Do any pickup and delivery order. It's got to be over $20, and you can only use the code once a day. But the code that you use is HOOPS10. That's H-O-O-P-S-1-0. Yep. Use it as many times as you want during the tournament. $10 off your order, any pickup or delivery order. That's incredible. So at all locations, if I order through the app, during the NCAA tournament, and I use Hoops One Zero, my forty dollar order is thirty bucks. That's right. Wow. It's a good deal. It's a I'm using it for deal. sure a lot. <laughs> You're using it, which features the new app, and that's one of the reasons we're doing it. We love basketball, 
But the new Zeke's app is highly improved. Can you tell us? It's way improved, and we appreciate everybody being patient while we made this transition. But since this thing's been fully launched, the reviews on it are great, and it's never been easier or faster. It's super easy to get it on your phone, and ordering is super easy and fast. The customer experience is really good. good. We have rewards for the first time. So every time you order from Zeke's, you're moving your way towards free pizza. So best way we've ever had to order for Zeke's. So we're proudly out there getting it into everybody's hands and on their phone. And the other excitement, Dan, is first ever out of state, out of the state of Washington location about to open. Yeah, we're going to open in Eagle, Idaho soon, which is a suburb of Boise. We're really excited. We have a great franchise partner down there. The community in Boise are super excited. We've been getting all kinds of write-ups down there. Nice. People know enough about Zeke's down there. They know that we're the Northwest pizza place. And so totally stoked. It's going to be really fun. First out of state, which is exciting. $10 off every order. Minimum $20. Every location, if you order through the app, all the way through the NCAA Tournament's championship game, you've got to use the code HOOPS10. Download the new and improved Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. Episode 231, creeping our way towards Major League's opening day, and it's been a long time since there was this much anticipation in Mariners land. Let's get our buddy Steve Phillips in here. He's been kind to us over the years, former GM of the Mets, of course, analyst, Sirius XM, MLB Network up in Canada as well. Steve, how you been? I'm doing great, Mitch. Good to be with you. Good to, good to have you back. Improving at the plate dynamic starting rotation, an always capable bullpen. Big picture, where are you on the M's chances, Steve? Uh, I mean, listen, they're a really good team. They don't have any major gaping holes anywhere. Teoscar Hernandez in the outfield adds an element of, of thunder to the lineup. They've got room in left field for the kids to grow and, and continue to fill out. They're going to be a solid starting rotation with some big arms and swing and miss stuff. The Castillo acquisition last year really elevated that pitching staff to another level. And even trading away Eric Swanson in the deal for Teoscar Hernandez was a net win. You know, they took on more money. The Blue Jays shaved some money, got the power arm they were looking for. Overall, you've got a solid defensive team. Colton Wong at second base is a gold glover. J.P. Crawford, gold glove caliber shortstop. Uh, you've got power, you've got some speed, you've got starting pitching, you've got bullpen, no major hole. And look, if you're going to compete with the Astros, you can't have major gaping holes. And so they've done a nice job narrowing that gap right now. Let's dig a little deeper. You and I have not spoken, I don't think, since the Mariners passed on all those big free agent shortstops. To many of us, this was the perfect time for the organization to do something big like that. But Jerry DePoto and the Mariners didn't. And they stuck by the explanation, Steve, that they wanted J.P. Crawford to remain at short for continuity, consistency, and not move to second base. A lot of us like me who are cynical and skeptical, I know you're not, guys like me said, ah, uh, that just feels like a cop-out that they just didn't want to spend the money on one of those boppo of free agents. What do you think? Well, I, you know, continuity is not a reason. If you can improve and have better players, then changing it up a little bit is 
is better. I mean, I, I don't, you know, they, and, and you don't want to be the same team all the time, time going from one year to the next. Now they're not the same team. They've made some changes, uh, but you know, I think JP Crawford's a gold glove shortstop, but they got Colt Wong, a gold glove second baseman. So they're better with run prevention than what they've been, which is a valuable thing to do. Right. And it's, and it's something that's more difficult to quantify and it. And it lacks sex appeal. Right. I mean, listen, I mean, Carlos Correa would have been really sexy signing Trey Turner would have been amazing for them. Right. That being said, they're going to be a really solid defensive team. Uh, they're going to have thunder in the lineup and you know, they can, they're still poised to make a big deal in the future if they want to, but I don't know that I would have done it necessarily either mm -hmm. this year. And so mm -hmm. I think Wong is a solid move for them to upgrade defense. Uh, they've reconfigured some of the talent on the roster, but uh, I think they're ready to make that next step. I think for many of these young players, just being a year older, they're going to be more mature, more experienced. They're going to be better players. And so I think that even with the same players, you should should and get more than what you got last year. Steve, they're chasing down, as you said, baseball's best or trying to. Is it important that they do that in the division? You know, in the NFL, it's important to win your division. It's hard as a wild card team to go on the road three weeks in the NFL. I mean, it, it happens. The Steelers did it. I mean, it happens, but it's hard. How important is it in baseball in your estimation, to win your division in 2023? Well, it's more important. It, look, everybody wants to. Everybody would prefer to get the buy and stay out of the wild card round if they could, just to line up their pitching the way they wanted to. But the Philadelphia Phillies went to the World Series last year as the third wild card team in the National League. Uh, and so, yeah, it's something that you would want. But I think baseball's playoffs are a little bit different in that if you get there, uh, you've got a chance to win. You know, the NFL feels like if you've got the better quarterback, you've got a chance to go deeper into the postseason. That, that, and baseball's not that way. You can have the better starting pitcher on the mound on a day, but baseball happens. And, you know, it's not who has the best team. It's the team that plays the best that wins in those short series. And so, yeah, ideally, you'd love to win the division. But I wouldn't get crazy about winning the division. Get to the playoffs and then make sure you're healthy. Make sure your starting pitching's lined up the way you want. Make sure you've rested that bullpen and go out there and slug your way uh, to try to get there too. And so I don't think it's as important in baseball to win the division as it might be in other sports. You talked about the Mariners defensively with their additions. A lot of our listeners may or may not know that you've been close to the Blue Jays for a lot of years. You've watched them very closely with your role up in Canada. Teoscar Hernandez, you mentioned. Haniger out. Hernandez in. Now, Haniger went healthy, very productive, very productive, but not healthy all the time and missing right. chunks and chunks of games. What do you think the Mariners can expect? What can we as Mariners fans expect? I think you used the word thunder. Teoscar yeah. Hernandez. Talk more about Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, he's a two-time Silver Slugger winner, and so I think that tells you, like, he's one of the better offensive corner outfielders in baseball. At times, defensively, he could he could tackle a fly ball every once in a while, uh, and so but uh, he gives you a, a, he's always a threat at the plate. He can be a little bit streaky where he can look like you know for a week he might lose his strike zone a little bit, but he's a guy that shows up to play every day. He plays with a smile on his face. His teammates always like him, and and where Haneker gave you that thirty nine home run season. You didn't get a lot of those. And so Teoscar, year in, year out, is pretty consistently a solid offensive player. 
I think he'll give you consistency throughout the course of the season, be a middle of the lineup guy driving in 80 to 100 runs, scoring 80 to 100 runs. He's got a really good arm from the outfield. Uh, and so I think that, I think, look, I think Meredith is going to love the guy. I think I really do it. And, and I will, I'll be surprised if they don't end up extending him and okay. keeping him for the long term. Cleanup hitter, number five hitter, number in a perfect world, where does he fit in a lineup? Yeah, in a perfect world, I, I, I mean, he could absolutely bat fourth, and he did that many times in Toronto. I would probably have him fifth in the perfect world if you yeah. want to have an aircraft carrier there. But, yeah. you know, lineups are constructed so differently now where you, you'll have a power hitter batting second. Yes. And so everybody's moved up a spot in the lineup right now, a little bit different than it used to be. So guys who are batting fourth now might have batted fifth in the past, but they want that, that guy that can hit a double to where – the nine hitter who might be a singles hitter can score from first base uh, and still have a chance to score a run in that inning. And so I think that, that he's a four or five hitter legitimately on a good championship team. Uh, and I think he's got a chance to really put up some numbers in, in Seattle. I giggle because you and I were wasting our time back in the seventies, trying to figure out baseball. It was all a complete waste of time, Steve. Yeah. They've changed yeah. everything. Julio batting first or second in 1970s, he was number three or number four. I've right. I've I've given up right. trying to figure it all. Right, and we'd have little guys with speed batting first and second. Yes, the guy would get on. They bunt him over. Yeah, and then, I mean, and so what I mean, listen, <laughs> they don't make uh, they don't make ball players like they used to, uh, or 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 hosts like they used to. I can tell you that. Uh, but God. but the game, the analytics of the game, it makes sense. The numbers tell a story, right? They're you know, all statistics are are ways to quantify performance and the trends and the directions as to where they go. Yeah. And so when teams are making moves, they've got numbers to justify what they're doing, despite those of us with white hair who think, <laughs> wait a minute, what are they doing? All right. There have always been pitchers, even going back to the 70s now. Uh, this is something that's remained the same, which I like. There have always been starting pitchers for whatever reason start slow. We used to talk about them all the time. The great starters who end up in the Cy Young conversation, but for whatever reason, can't get out of their own way in April. It appears that Luis Castillo might be one of those guys. After a recent start, Scott Service said the following. I'll read you the quote. I want you to react and how concerned should Mariners be about this quote. With him, you're not going to see electric velocity that we saw at the end of the season. I don't know if we will see that opening night. I think there will be a build up to it, to his stuff. But the unique thing about Luis is he doesn't have to pitch at 97 to be effective. Some pitchers do. He doesn't. The movement of his pitches, the release spot, I like what I've seen so far. It's actually better than I thought it would be in camp. Now, the tone of that almost sounds like we're talking about a guy who had off-season surgery. I kind of like where he is right now. He's actually better than I thought he would be. That sounds to me like a guy who's coming back from rotator cuff surgery. This is right. just this is just a great pitcher whose service is, is warning all of us, look, he may not be what you saw at the end of the year at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, there's so many guys, Chris Sales that way. We were in, I was at Red Sox camp, and Alex Cora said, listen, everyone's going to get worked up. He's going to be throwing 91 to 93 yeah. in April. And then mid-May, all of a sudden, he's going to get 95, 97. We just know what's coming. And so, and, and there are guys who get that way. That There are some, look, there's some who mentally 
uh, don't pitch well early in the season. There are some who are impacted by the cold. Now, Castillo pitching in Cincinnati, it can be a little chilly there uh, at opening day. It's not going to have to deal that with that necessarily in Seattle in the same way right. uh, with the stadium. And so, uh, but yeah, there are guys whose velocity starts to tick up during the course of the year. There are guys in spring training who don't throw hard, but when the lights turn on, the fastball comes back. He's a guy that graduates into it. And what you don't want to do is try to manufacture velocity because when a pitcher does that, he tries to ramp up and muscle up to try to do it. All he's doing is changing his mechanics, putting himself at risk for injury. And so I think it's good to sort of lower expectations and under promise and over deliver. And I think that's what Scott service is trying to do. So Castillo Gilbert Kirby Ray, another guy I'm going to ask you about in a second Ray, because Again, you had him up in Toronto before he got to Seattle. If Ray gets back to close to where he was, and again, I'm going to come back to that in a second. Is this the best rotation in baseball? Are there other rotations out there that rival Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby, and the Ray that we used to know? Yeah, there are other ones that can can compare. I think now they're they're comparable to some of the best. There's no question about that. But, you know, you look at the Houston Astros with Framber Valdez, and if McCullers gets healthy, comes back, and Luis Garcia and the guys, they have the Hunter Brown kid replacing Verlander. The Blue Jays right now with Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman, they added Chris Bassett. Then you add in Jose Barrios, and, and now Kikuchi is throwing great in camp, but we know that, that that's not always the story to tell. The Yankees went healthy. Carlos Rodon and, and Garrett Cole, then Luis Severino and Nestor Cortez, really good starting rotation. The Mets. With, with Verlander and Scherzer and, and Carlos Carrasco and then Sodai, uh, Kodai Senga coming in. So there are, you know, there are a lot of them that are 4D. There's the Seattle's is as comparable to many of those. Uh, but, you know, it's going to come down to execution. Timing's a factor, right? So that, that on a day that we pitch well, what if we don't hit and we don't get the win on that day and we wasted a win? So timing comes into play a little bit with all of it. But this is a team that's got a chance to win 90 games because they're going to be in almost every game because you know what you're going to get when you give them the ball in Seattle. You're going to get a competitive outing. Right. They're going to keep you there. Right. They've got a deep bullpen. And even if they're trailing, you know, a good bullpen doesn't just hold the lead. It holds a deficit. It holds the tie game to allow the offense to beat up on the sure. soft underbelly of the other team. Sure. And so I think that's where Seattle is going to really take advantage of other teams. With they, they may not have the best starting pitching, but one through 13, they're going to throw as many or more quality innings than just about everybody else. Let's talk about pitchers, Steve, that end a season in a traumatic way. Over the course of baseball, in particular, relief guys. We've seen guys who have a horrible playoff or give up a big home run in a game seven and never get back to where they were. Starters are a little bit different. They're a different breed. I ask you this about Robbie Ray because the last memory of Robbie Ray we all have was him struggling down the stretch, being questioned whether he should be even in the starting rotation in the playoffs, and then he comes in and the Alvarez home run is one of those moments in baseball that a lot of pitchers, relief pitchers, have never been able to get over. Do you worry about that with Ray's makeup that he'll ever be the same pitcher that he was before all of that? I don't worry about it at all. No, I don't. You know, ball players have this unique ability of looking at themselves differently than everybody else. 
And I'll give you an example. When I went back with the Mets front office after playing in the minor leagues, one of the first things I did is I went and looked at the scouting reports that were in there on me. Right. And I read those and I thought, darn, I thought a lot more of myself than they thought about me. <laughs> How come I didn't realize that? And I realized that we fool ourselves sometimes. And so my sense is Robbie Ray's got, you know, has, has said, uh, tip his cap. I mean, giving up a home run to Jordan Alvarez. There's no shame in that. The guy's one of the best hitters in the game. Plus, Robbie's been a guy in the past that has had some peaks and valleys with his career. He'll have that great outing. And then he didn't throw enough strikes the next time out. And so he's gone through this. He's an experienced guy. I think he's flushed all that out, coming back in again. I think he's going to be just fine. Last question for the great Steve Phillips. Catch him on Sirius XM. You can see him now on the MLB Network more and more up in Canada with the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I can't let you out of here until you tell me about the rules changes and your your thoughts so far. You were down in spring training. I think you were in Florida for spring training. Everybody's talking about how fast the game is moving. Everybody's talking about how you combine the fact that you can't step off more than twice before each pitch. You, you have to get up there and throw. You talk about the bigger bases and the lack of a shift now. And maybe offense is going to be back. Dare I say the way we loved it in the 70s, offense is going to be back in Major League Baseball. How do you like the rules, A, personally? And then question B is, what's going to be the impact? Besides the faster games, what's going to be the tangible impact in terms of runs scored, ERAs, batting averages, and that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I love the rule changes. I think it's great. The pace will be better. In the minor leagues, it knocked off half an hour off the game. And it's not the length of the game that's necessarily the issue. What they're trying to do is to reduce the amount of time between the action, between the contact taking place. In the in the 70s, it was about two and a half minutes be, between contact and action. It got up over four minutes in, in, in recent time. And so, you know, that adds time to the game. But it also, it slows down the viewing process. And so I think action is going to be more. Then there's going to be more base runners because – the hitter is three inches closer to first base. So all those bang-bang plays where the runner's out at first base, he's going to be safe. The runners now are four and a half inches closer to second and third. So all of the bang-bang plays before, they're going to be safe. Then it's going to add to the number of stolen base attempts significantly. The runners on third are going to be three inches closer to home plate right now, leading to more runs scored in those bang-bang plays. All those plays where they show the review and the, the guy's hand's just not at home plate, he's right. going to be there now. Stolen bases are going up. The pitcher's throwing over to first. The limitations on that is going to impact stealing bases even more than what the, the bigger bases are from talking to managers. And banning the shift, more balls are going to find the, 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 the ground. And so I think it's going to be a better product. I really do. And I think it's going to be a, a much better watch and better action than I think everybody's going to enjoy. Tough on pitchers, though. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. Pitchers keep saying that people keep saying it's going to reduce injuries. I think that pitchers throwing more pitches quickly is going to make them more at risk. But uh, everybody, many of the pitchers in the big leagues went through this in the minor leagues and the, and the limits in the minor leagues were actually more stringent than the ones they're instituting right now. They had to work more quickly in the minor leagues. And, and you got star pitchers like Scherzer saying, I love it. It's great. Then it's going to be fine. We're going to get through it. You won't even notice the clock two months into the season. And if you were the GM of the Mets, would you have anticipated this and worked harder on your bullpen than maybe you would have in, in other years, knowing that maybe starting pitchers are not going to last long as long into games, and now we're really going to have to win this thing with our bullpen? 
I think we're, teams are so programmed right now to fortifying bullpens and shortening the game. Right. The idea of letting a pitcher face the lineup three times around, nobody does it anymore. Okay. So I think they've already been set up that way to be able to handle this shift. Okay. Steve Phillips, great to visit with you. Baseball is just around the corner. Would you say, I, I can see it in your eyes, you think Houston and Toronto are the best two teams in the American League. You mentioned when you start talking about Toronto's rotation, knowing the way they can pound the ball, I know what Steve Phillips thinks about Toronto if you like their rotation. So Houston and Toronto, and then and then the Mariners are in the next group in the American League, something like that? Yeah, I think the Yankees, the Mariners, look, the American League East with the Blue Jays uh, and the Yankees and the Rays, I think those three separate themselves. Right. And I would say Yankees, Blue Jays in the East. Uh, you know, the Centrals, probably the Guardians is the best team of the White Sox and, and Twins in the mix there too. And I think, look, I think I'm not going to be shocked if the Mariners win the West. I'm not. I mean, no Verlander there. Uh, you know, what's the health status of McCullers? You start challenging the depth a little bit. I mean, there's there's a story to tell that can get the Mariners to the top of the division. But I think there's probably six teams that are legitimately the leading teams in the American League. And the Mariners are one of them. Love it, Steve. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. We'll, we'll visit in a couple of months. Thanks for being back Terrific. on Mitch Unfiltered. Great. You got it. Good to see you, Mitch. Hey, look who's back with us. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call, in their new offices. How's everything going over there, Katie? We're all doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me today. And I understand that we're going taxes on our pop quiz. That's right. So we are actually talking specifically today about the new proposed Washington state capital gains tax. Ah. In 2021, the state enacted a new tax on long-term capital gains that were effective starting 2022. Question number one for you is what percentage is that taxed? So if you have a capital gain, what percentage is it going to be taxed at from the state? Is it 3%, 5% or 7%? It's either 5 or 7. I'll go 5%, Katie. It's actually 7%. You're taxed at the federal level, either at 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending right. on your, your tax rate. But then additionally, Washington State will take another 7%. I don't like that. I don't like that news. What's question number two? The good news is that not all capital gains are subject to the 7% tax. Specifically, real estate is excluded from this. Right. So whether it's a personal residence or an investment property, you don't have to worry about the 7% at this point from that. Additionally, it's only if you have a specific dollar amount of capital gains. So if you make below this dollar amount in capital gains for a given year, you don't have to pay the 7% tax, but if it's above this amount, you are subject to that tax. What is that amount? Is it $100,000, $250,000, or $500,000? And this is additional to the federal tax that you'll be charged on capital gains. It's either 250 or 500. I'll go the big one, 500. Actually, 250000 So let's say you sold stock and you made $300,000 in 2022. $50,000 above the two fifty, dollars that would be subject to the 7% tax. Understood. Which makes me 0 for 2. I have one last shot. 
Give me a true or false question, would you, Katie, please? <laughs> All right. I got you with number three here. All right. So right now, the state Supreme Court started hearing arguments just at the end of January of 2023 to determine if this tax is constitutional. So true or false, if you had capital gains in excess of $250,000 in 2022, you will not have to pay the tax until they determine if it's constitutional. Is that true or false? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense that you shouldn't have to pay it until we find out the ruling from the court. So I'm going to say true. Please tell me it's true. Unfortunately for you and for anyone that has gains above that $250,000, it's false. The courts uh, came out in the last few months and said, if you did have these gains, you will be subject to pay by April. There's a special website that you have to go to log this information. It seems like quite the cumbersome process here, and we're still figuring out what that all means for everyone in the state. So if you have questions about it or are curious if this applies to you, please reach out to us at evergreengk.com to schedule a consultation and learn more. And of course, if it's ultimately ruled unconstitutional, Katie, you'll get that money back. That's right. Evergreengk.com. I don't want to mention that I was 0 for 3. Uh, I thought I was on a roll these last few quizzes. Don't forget Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrap, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and Fireside Home Solutions, but still some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead, and there's no better time to buy than these couple months. Uh, February seems to always have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So right about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say? Oh, if I look back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we were we blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there. And lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. 
know, Mitch, you know as well as I do, getting up early in the morning really kind of does a number on your body. It does a number on your life. You know, you miss out on things. Um, in case you forgot, because you were at one point invited to my wedding, yet you never responded or called. Ouch. Yeah, go on. Look who's here on episode 231. She hasn't even gotten her lunch yet, but she wants to gloat a little bit on Mitch Unfiltered. Her favorite team is in the Sweet 16. Go ahead, gloat. Make me sick. Go ahead and gloat, Tracy Taylor. Oh, my goodness. Go Zags. Go Zags. Go Zags. Drew Timmy. Go Zags. Go Zags. Were you a little nervous in the first half or not nervous at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you kidding? This team is like fast-paced team. I was nervous from the get-go. TCU, they're just a tough team. But I'm not going to lie, Mitchie, I am so scared for UCLA on Thursday. I'm not going to lie. Well, it's over on Thursday. It's over on Thursday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's not get ahead of ourselves, sir. Let's not do that. How are you, Tracy Taylor? It's been how many months, how many years since you were on Mitch Unfiltered? We're almost at a year there, Mitchie. Thanks Uh for uh, bringing me back. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yep. I like the fact that you couldn't figure out your microphone because you weren't in radio and TV long (laughs) enough to be able to figure out how to be, how to use the microphone. So we have to do a cell phone call with Tracy Taylor on episode. All, I know. The, all these people want you to be on weekly and we have to do cell phone calls with you. How can we put you no, on a weekly? You just need to get me the right equipment because ah. I don't clearly don't have the right equipment. So as soon as you provide the right equipment, then we can make this a weekly appearance. I'm not sure that it's an equipment problem, Tracy. <laughs> Just because I'm blonde, it doesn't necessarily mean I can't get things figured out. Let's just say that. Uh, you know, put that out there. But again, we are doing this awfully late there, sir. So yeah. I could be a little bit tired. Okay. If you're a little bit tired, it's three hours later where I am than when you are. So <laughs> true. I don't want you to true, complain true. that you're tired. All right. Catch everybody up. What are you doing these days? Weren't you working for the city of Kent at one point? I am. Yeah, and I still am. I'm still in the mayor's office. I work on the communications team. It's amazing. Uh, We just had our state of the city address, and now we're just kind of uh, getting geared up and ready to go for summer. So we're super excited. Nice. Do you miss radio and television? I do. I do. (laughs) It's funny that you say that. Of course I do. I miss being able to tell the traffic story. I miss working with amazing people like yourself. I I will say this. I don't miss getting up at 1.15 in the morning to go to work every day, but um, I do miss working with amazing people like yourself, for sure. Might you get back in? Oh, it's got to be a really good opportunity for me to consider. Why? Why does it have to be that good of an opportunity? Because, uh, you know, I mean, getting up at one fifteen at my age is like no. really hard now. No, it doesn't have to be mornings. Why can't you go in and do middays or go do, you know, evenings or do afternoon drive or something? It doesn't have to be morning. There's would, other things besides morning. No, I know. But here's the thing, Mitchie. I mean, uh, for so long, I've been so used to doing that morning drive. And, oh, uh, you know, my body has been accustomed to it. But then again, I'm running into a, like a little insomnia sort of a thing. So, I mean, I guess it'd be fine to be able to go to work at one something in the morning again, but uh, I'll be honest with you. I, um, I really like my, you know, evenings at home now and my, and being able to sleep until like six 30 in the morning. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty nice. Okay. I want to cover a few things, but before I get there, Tracy to the great Tracy Taylor is with us. 
Back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Can't figure out how to use a microphone, so we're on a cell phone. No, yeah. Can't figure it out. You're from Spokane originally. How'd you become such a big Gonzaga fan? Was it just to annoy me, or was there some some legitimacy to it? (laughs) Well, I've always gone I've gone against the grain, Mitchie. I mean, anything that you hated, I loved. So that's <laughs> duh. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I was a, a diehard Gonzaga fan living in Spokane. I mean, I, I jumped on the bandwagon when we first moved there, and and uh, and I've been in love with the team ever since, even before Mark Few. So I mean, this has just been par for the course. I've just you know, lifelong fan for sure. When did you move there, and why? Oof, my parents got divorced, so my mom moved us to Spokane to start her life all over again. So imagine three kids, a dog, three bikes, and a little S10 Chevy Blazer moving from Oklahoma City to Spokane, Washington. Uh, Got into school at Mead High School and and just kind of fell in love with the city. I mean, my mom loved it. She started her career there. She ended up getting remarried. I ended up getting three new siblings with that as well. And, you know, and that's kind of how it all formed, I suppose. And then you went back a second time for a job, didn't you? You left us. You I left Seattle. I did. Went, yeah, I le- tell me. Tell yeah, me. I yeah. left you. I left you. Gosh, what, when did I start working with you? I think it was like early in the 2000s. And then I left for a little while. And then you were like, no, you have to come back. And so I did. But yeah, I did go back to Spokane. I did uh, TV in Spokane on the weekends at uh, the CBS affiliate. Mm-hmm. And I did a midday show on a... Um, on a hip hop radio station there for a little while and then left. And uh, yeah, I eventually found my way back to you. Weird how that works out, right? It was very nice. Do you ever think about moving back to Spokane for the long term or is that in your past now? It's, you know, I, I don't see myself moving back there at all. I mean, my parents live there. My siblings all live there still, but I just don't, it's not as fast paced and it's just not my, it's not my jam anymore. I mean, I love the city. Don't get me wrong. I love going to visit, but I just can't see myself going back there and living there again. People want me to ask you, when you think back to the KJR years, the KJR Mm -hmm. years with Mitch, the KJR years with other people, everybody else at KJR, do you have... Do you have a story? Do you have a memory? Is there something? <laughs> is there something? Because everybody wants you to talk about pizza and porn. Is there something? Of course they do. Yes, of course they do. Because, you know, that hasn't been like 30 years ago. But, you know, that's fine. I know that that still haunts me for sure. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh. No, you know, my favorite memories at KJR were bigger dance parties when we did uh, bigger dance parties. That's for sure. My favorite memory with the bigger dance parties is um, you and I up there and um, I think we might have had a couple of drinks or whatever but we were having a lot of fun overall my favorite memories are just being on the show the champagne shows where we got a little hammered a couple of times and we started prank calling Schmitty I believe and we were leaving really bad voicemail messages to him um, oh. you know, I mean, and then the Graz and Gasathons, those were fun too. Yeah. But truly, a lot of my favorite memories were on our show for yeah. sure. Yeah. You bring up Schmitty, people are going to ask, are you going to ask Tracy about <laughs> Schmitty? Can we, 
<laughs> can we get you guys together and just solve this thing once and for all? Everybody's a lot older. Everybody's a lot more sure. gray. I mean, there's got to be a way we can bring you two guys together. I, you know, I haven't seen nor heard or talked to that guy since <laughs> the day that he had left. So I'm sure there's like water under the bridge and that's fine. I really have no ill will or ill intent towards him whatsoever. I think what it comes down to is that he just really wanted to get my goat and I did the same and we just loved to push each other's buttons. It's very similar to a lot of your producers, I think, that I just really, really, really love to razzle a little bit. I mean, let's not get it twisted. Bob Stilton at one point, there was Stretch, uh, there was Searsy. Let's see, we had Lex at one point, we had Schmitzy, and then we had Schmitty. I mean, let's be honest, Mitch, there was a lot of producers <laughs> to struggle. But there was more animosity between you and Schmitty than you and any other producer. Am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely positively right about that. How did I mean, that happen? No well, where, where did that come from? Where did that anger come from, Tracy? I think there was at one point that, you know, he just said, you're nothing to the show other than a traffic reporter. And that's when I was like, excuse me? I don't think so. That's not how we play this here. (laughs) And so I wanted him to feel the repercussions just a little bit on that one. You know, when I go to your Twitter, I see some things that I never knew before. Five-time... Emmy Award nominee. Is that right? Yes. That is correct. I'm looking at the plaques right now on my office wall. Yeah. Did you ever win? No, I did not. (laughs) I am the Susan Lucci of Emmy nominations for sure. There's no question about it. I don't know how that happened, and I'm kind of bummed out that it happened that way. I have submitted uh, for an Emmy this year for the last year um, that I was in TV. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed that I get nominated for three more. But we'll find out in April. That would make me an eight-time nominated person. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. I would love to see that golden trophy on my wall. But, you know, that's fine. I'll take the plaques for the nominations. It's fine. Not really, but it's fine. That's incredibly impressive that you were – nominated five times. I've never been nominated for any award professionally in my entire, however many years I'm doing this, 35 years, never one award nomination. So five times and now you're going for eight. Yeah. I'm ho- I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for eight. I ended <laughs> up, um, I was fortunate enough to win an Edward R. Murrow award. Yeah, I want to know about for, that. Uh, tell me what that is. What is that? So I couldn't tell you because I didn't <laughs> submit the entry, but, um, <laughs> Our uh, the company submitted the entry and it was for an idea that I created for the radio station and it ended up being very very successful and it ended up winning an award for social media. So I'm really proud of it, but um, I don't know how that all happened. I was like they said they were submitting my you know like my whole idea and next thing I know it, hey you won this award and I'm like wait what. What? How does that happen? And I where, don't know how that happens. And where is that award? It's in the radio station. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near my house or in my possession. It's at the radio station. But that's fine. That's where it belongs, right? You Isn't call. Right? Your, hold think, on a second. You call yourself a social media guru on your Twitter page. I do. Yeah, I consider myself to be a pretty prolific social media guru. Yes, absolutely. Don't you have to know how to use a microphone for a podcast? Okay, now that's like getting into a lot of technical things that I can't really explain. 
explain, but I can tell you how to create a brand and I can tell you how to gain your followers and I can, I can help you with everything. I mean, let's be honest, Mitchie. I mean, I know I don't have as many followers as you do, but I do have close to 35,000 on Twitter oh, and wow. I do have over 6,000 on Instagram. Wow. So, wow. and if you want to include Facebook, that's another 16,000, but whatever, I'm and, not counting. And you know what your 35,000 followers know about you? They know that you hate pie. <laughs> I hate pie so much. It is like, I, you knew that though. No, I, I think you that. knew that. You hate pie? You didn't know that? You don't hate pizza pie. We know that. No, <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. I don't hate pizza pie, but I do. I, I don't pie. care for pie. It's not my, it, no. There's not one pie that I can get you to eat? None? Zero? Mm, well, outside of pizza, no. Mm-mm, no. Chocolate pie. What's a chocolate pie? I've never even heard of a chocolate pie. How about a pump, that? a pumpkin pie, a blueberry pie? Nothing. No. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. What are picklebacks? you're going to make me hang up. What are picklebacks? <gasps> oh, my God. Are you serious? You don't know what a pickleback is? I have absolutely no idea what a pickleback is. Okay. When you're home and we go to lunch that you promised to take me to a year ago. Yeah. Oh, wait. Or a couple of years ago. Oh, wait. <laughs> 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, that lunch. I will introduce you to a pickleback. It's a Jameson shot with a shot of dill pickle juice. It's an alcoholic beverage. I don't want that. Do I have to drink that? <laughs> Absolutely you do. We have to do Jeez. shots. Come on, Mitchie. Don't, don't be a chicken. We're doing pickleback shots at lunch? I'm not going to lunch. Yeah, with, why not? I'm not going to lunch with you until you prove to me that you can use a microphone on a computer, oh my on a podcast. <laughs> this is the same guy that promised me lunch. And oh wait, okay, okay. all right. You promised me lunch a year ago, and I hold I hold promises very, very near and dear to my heart. Oh so my you still owe me. Oh my god! And where are we going to lunch? Um, I don't know. What sounds good? Do you want to go to Joey's? Do you want sushi? What do you feel like? I want to go to a sponsor. I want to go to either Zeke's or Daniel's Broiler. Of course. Okay, then we're going to Daniel's Broiler, and then I'm going to get myself the Chilean sea bass. Okay. Which spot do you want to go to? Which Daniel spot do you want to go to? I prefer Bellevue just okay. because it's close to both of us. Okay. Is that okay? Yes. Yes. When you prove to me okay. that you can use a microphone. Oh, a my gosh. What is wrong with you? <laughs> What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? The social media guru over there that does nothing but drink picklebacks and hate pie. Right. And the, yeah. the five-time Emmy Award nominated, Murrow mm -hmm. Award winner, can't figure mm -hmm. out how to connect a, a microphone to a computer. Even I can connect a microphone to a computer, <laughs> for God's sakes. Yeah, but you've been doing this every single day. I, I yeah. do not do this anymore. Okay. So I legitimately have no reason to remember how to hook a microphone up to a computer. All right. Period. Tracy End Taylor. of story. Tracy Taylor, what else do we need to check off the list before I say goodbye and wish you well? Not really in terms of Gonzaga on Thursday <laughs> night. I can't wish you well on that. <laughs> I'm rooting for the Why? Because. Why can you not just jump on the bandwagon just for a little bit? Because just for of the a little bit. There's room for you. He's a weasel. I can't do it. No. I can't do it. No. No, he's not. I'm rooting for UCLA on Thursday night. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to all of our beautiful Mitch Unfiltered listeners before you go? Any other stories you want to tell? Any other questions you oh. want to ask? Is there anything on your mind, Tracy? Speak now or so forever many, hold your peace. So many, so many stories to tell, so many questions <laughs> to ask. But I think the one thing I want to say is 
a big thank you to everybody that has supported you because truly you have been one of my dearest and closest friends. And I love you dearly for that and, and supporting you in your dream and your podcast, because it's been so successful and just so much fun to listen to. You have so much fun on, on the radio again. It just, it warms my heart. And for everybody that supported you, I'm, I'm truly grateful for them for doing that because they all see what a genuine, wonderful human being you are. And I'm just so proud to be your friend. That's all. You're super sweet. The check is in the mail for that. Uh, and you read the script beautifully. I wrote it. It took me a long time <laughs> to write that. And you just rattled it off beautifully. Thank you very much for that, by the way. Thank always. Thank always. You. Always here for you, babe. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Tracy Taylor. It's going to take a very special opportunity in radio or TV to get her back. But maybe, just maybe, there's something around the corner regularly if she can figure out how to use a microphone. Okay, can you just let that Mitch, go, please? Love you, Tracy. Thank you very much. I love you, Mitchie. Thank you. My man, Jay Flo, Jordan Flowers. He runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter, too. Lego land with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends here in Seattle, Jordan. Never, never. <laughs> All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery. Oh, very good, Jordan. <laughs> very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest, true or false? Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. Huh? They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down. And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are going to say that's not humanly possible. True or false, Jordan Flowers, and how? True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy-downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid-sixes, upper sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to 4 and then 5 and then the note rate. But within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right, so what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next weeks and months? Yeah, uh, two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down, which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 3.25, it's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in the last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well. And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate as well as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage phone number. 425-890-2957. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. So 
episode 231. It's time for the always popular other stuff segment, Hot Shot Scott. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Hit them with what you got. Oh, wait, but before you go, it's yes. I'm broadcasting from my home tonight, so I think it's only, uh, oh. you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an adult, right? <laughs> an adult and I'm at home, and I ain't driving oh, anywhere, geez. so okay. go ahead. You talk while I have a sip. I'll entertain you while you're drinking beer. What kind of beer are you drinking? That's called Coors Banquet. Okay. You got to be a Cobra Kai to enjoy this. Okay. I'm going to throw a couple at you while you're drinking a Coors Banquet, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I have unexpectedly gotten roped into the WBC. Have you? Have you seen any of the baseball games, the World Baseball Classic? I haven't, but I saw the headline where the, a guy from the United States hit a home run to send yes. him to the semifinal. Yes. So yeah. I'm, I'm in Miami visiting my mom, and on, on Saturday night, I was at a restaurant trying to watch the NCAA basketball tournament, but everybody <laughs> yeah. else was watching the World Baseball Classic. And I'll have you know that every time Venezuela did something good, the place went crazy. I was in the middle of that. <laughs> I, I thought I was in Caracas. I, I didn't. It was unbelievable. The whole place was rooting for Venezuela. Oh, I was like, wait a second, what's awesome. wrong with this picture? Now, I know I'm in Miami. You don't have to remind me I'm in Miami. I understand what I'm dealing with here. But still, you would think... Yeah, you would think there to be some United States fans in Miami. <laughs> Did you Florida. sit on your hands the rest of the game. So you God, didn't get your I was, I was actually when Trey Turner hit the home run. Yeah. I was actually a little concerned for my well-being. Like I got, <laughs> am I going to get out of here alive? Somebody going to throw a right. bottle at my head? A Mike Tyson biting of the year fight with uh, Evander Holyfield? <laughs> Somebody going to throw something? Is going to throw a haymaker at me? But I, I have, uh, I have been ignoring the WBC, and on Saturday night, at least for a few minutes, I actually was. With all the people cheering for Venezuela, I was roped in a little bit, cheering for my United States of America. And then of course, yeah. the other story about the WBC is how about how about these injuries? Are you following this? Did you see no, Edwin Diaz is mm -hmm. out for the oh, year? I saw he's out for the year, yeah. Edwin Diaz is out for the year. Astro star Jose nice. Altuve has a broken thumb. Oh, poor fellow. Mm. Yeah. Um, he's out for he's out for eight to ten weeks, but Edwin Diaz. The trumpets are going to be silent. Timmy trumpets or Tommy trumpets, whatever that is. Did you yeah. see how he got hurt? No. How do you feel if you're the Mets and your star closer got hurt celebrating? Oh Not even gosh. on the field. He was celebrating a win for his team. He blew out his knee. Surgery. Oh. He's out for the entire season. That's well, unbelievable. How do you feel if you're if you're a team, if you're an organization in baseball, and you're sending these guys over to play in the World Baseball? Yeah. How would you felt if Julio Rodriguez got hurt? It's their nightmare come true. Oh my God! It's, right? Yeah, it's exactly why they would tell these guys, "Sorry, you can't play," but they don't want to do that, and this is what you get. That's awful. Wasn't there a player that jumped on home plate after a home run and? Yeah, Morales or something. I think it's Kendris Morales. I think. Oh my yeah. gosh, these yeah. guys getting hurt celebrating. Yeah. It's crazy. Ugh. If you're the Mets, I mean that owner Cohen yeah. of the Mets is spending like 350 million dollars to try to win a championship, <laughs> and his star closer gets hurt celebrating in the World Baseball Classic before his season even begins. That not is good, tough you know. stuff. Yeah. All right, I got a non-sports one for you real quick here. There's a new radio station that perhaps Brent Axe, our buddy we spoke about oh. earlier, can apply to. Okay. 102.7 FM, The Pole, out of Kingston, Ontario. Now, this format plays 
Mostly music you would hear in a strip club. Ah, strip music. The pole. 102.7 FM, The Pole. Life is a grind. <laughs> Jesus. That's their slogan, right? <laughs> this is so you, you'll be happy to know they're also oh going to broadcast God. local news, weather, and events like every other cockamamie radio station. Oh, my but God. Yeah, you can, and you can, you can stream them. You can hear them online at 102.7 FM, The Pole. The cherry pie, pour some sugar on me, shook oh me all night God. long. All the classics that you hear in the strip club, yes. Well, Brent, Amazing. if you're listening, get your resume together. <laughs> <laughs> Send it over right. to Kingston. Where'd you say in Canada? Somewhere uh, in Kingston, Canada. Ontario. Okay. Answer me this question. At what point has Scottie Pippen taken enough? <laughs> at what, <laughs> at no what point shit. at what point do we call off the dogs on Scottie Pippen? First his ex-wife gets together with Michael Jordan's son. Now the latest is she announces to the world that they have to have sex four times every day. <laughs> God, I think we have our pound of flesh yet. Can we move on from Scotty Pippen? Poor Scotty Pippen. And no. that's not even all. She was quoted the other day as saying, oh, if we got married, I'd absolutely change my name to Jordan. From oh, God. Her. So I don't know. At, at some point, I think oh, that Scotty Pippen has taken enough grief. Yeah, we got to leave. We got to start a leave Scotty alone campaign. Leave Scotty alone, for God's sake. Yep. And speaking of Michael Jordan, rumblings that he's ready to sell the Hornets. His majority stake in the Hornets, he purchased in 2010 the majority of the Hornets for $275 million, Hotshot Scott. The team will sell for around $4 billion value Jeez. this time around. I think Michael Jordan's going to do okay for himself as he turns yeah, his his 50-whatever percent into, uh, into cash. I'm glad, he's, I'm, I'm glad that kid landed on his feet he's after He's doing basketball. all right for himself. <laughs> Good for him. And I guess his son is doing okay for himself, too. <laughs> Right. Although he's going to be worn out. Oh, Good God. Lord. God. Four times a day. <sighs> a woman was left utterly mortified after she got a notification during a date that her grandpa was live streaming on Facebook. Oh, anyone can just live stream on Facebook. I guess. Let's see what let's see what grandpa's doing. Get over here. Date. I want to oh, show no. you, too. This is this is my grandpa. You'll love him. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> gra grandpa still working with technology a bit when she clicked on the live stream. Your old grandpa was uh, partaking in touchy selfie right oh, there for everyone to see. To make it worse, her date was watching and saw the whole thing. And yeah, be careful out there, my fellow old people. This technology is not for everybody. Got to be really careful out there. Christ. I think that there's a member of the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant, who knows about... Yeah. Facebook Live, is that what you call it? Facebook Live yeah, streaming? Facebook yeah. Live, yeah, I think that's what got him in trouble when he went live from a strip joint with a gun with in a his gun. hands. And yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, so even young people, just everyone, be careful with technology out there. It's going to ruin your life. All right, Rick Pitino, coach of Iona, might be leaving. Where would he be going? At 70, by the way, 70 years old, Rick Pitino. Wow. Considering taking the head coaching job at St. John's and returning mm -hmm. to the Big East College Basketball Conference, Rick Pitino guided his Iona Gales back to the NCAA tournament. They were a first-round exit, and now he's being wooed by a lot, of, a lot of programs, but the one that he's seriously considering, St. John's and the Redmen, Rick Pitino. I guess they're the Red Storm now, sorry. Rick Pitino at St. John's would be a good match. You'd like that? I think I would. I think I like that. Yeah. I think I like the thought of that, yeah. Timothy Blythnick. You've never heard of him. No. He was on an episode of Family Feud back in 2019 when Steve Harvey put him on the spot. It was his turn to answer the question. What's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? 
His answer, saying I do. Okay, got a, got oh, a little I laugh. Know this Wait a second. I know this story. Go ahead. Yes, go. Smash cut to last month. Yes. When his estranged wife, Ooh. estranged wife Rebecca, was found dead inside their home. Oh. And Timothy has been charged with breaking into her home and shooting her multiple Jesus. times. I mean, we're having a laugh. I mean, a woman's dead, but yes. it's crazy that he sort of showed his hand three years ago or four years ago on Family Feud a bit. So yeah, I guess she filed for a restraining order and Saw unclear. Yeah, if if uh, if it was in effect at the time of her death, but he's currently being held without bail. But who's the person that went back and found that clip on Family Feud? Somebody did. Somebody That's crazy. did. I hope it was a lawyer and they got celebrated in their office for it. Hotshot NHL controversy. San Jose Sharks goaltender. I think it's pronounced James Raymer. I hope I pronounced it right. Boycotted the team's warm-up skate. Okay. Before its 4-1 home loss to the New York Islanders on Saturday. Why? Because his teammates wore jerseys that support the LGBTQIA community. Oh, okay. As part of a week-long series of events that the team says continue a long-standing commitment to the allyship with the LGBTQIA community, San Jose players wore special jerseys for Sharks Pride Night that are designed by a queer artist from San Jose, California, Reimer refused to wear them, refused to skate. He said, quote, for all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my daily life. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and in response asks me to love everyone and to follow him. In this specific instance, I am <laughs> choosing not to endorse something yeah. that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. The team responded by saying we acknowledge and accept the rights of individuals to express themselves, including how or whether they choose to express their beliefs, regardless of the cause or topic. The team said in a statement as an organization, we will not waver in our support of the LGBTQIA community and continue to encourage others to engage in active allyship. Well, I know where he's coming from, and he's my Lord and Savior. And so um, <laughs> a threesome goes bad, and a couple ends up in handcuffs. Really? That's right. <laughs> Really? No. That's your response? Oh, God. I, I mean, I, at least he's sort of, you know, I have respect for him for, you know, sticking by what he believes, but yeah. also coming out and saying, you know, hey, this this is how I feel. I'm not comfortable with it. How are you going to argue with someone about their religion? I guess it is what it is. And Yes. You know. Are you okay yeah, with the, the way the organization handled it? Yes? Well, yeah. yeah. It's okay. fine. Me too. Yeah, I'm good with it. Me too. You know Kenny G, your buddy Kenny G? Saw him in the airport. Saw him in the Los Angeles International Airport about a couple months ago when I was stranded in L.A., yes. A couple months ago you saw him, really? Yeah, remember when uh, I was stranded in L.A. in December and I couldn't get back home? And I was... uh, You recognize Kenny G? (laughs) How could you not recognize... Who wouldn't recognize (laughs) Kenny G with that long, curly, straggly hair? Come on. All right, well, just so you know, he's been paying $40,000 a month for 10 years to his ex and says he's had enough. His <laughs> lawyer filed legal docs on Friday asking the judge to pull the plug on the spousal oh. support obligation, saying she's capable of finding a job. It's become impossible to pay. Oh, and one big reason, he says, is COVID because he can't tour. He, he couldn't tour back then. And 
I'm thinking, really? That's the reason he's not making the money he used to? Okay. Yeah. It might be a little something else, too. But I didn't anyway, mention Kenny it to G's him when I saw him. I didn't mention it when I saw him. So <laughs> Yeah, don't ask him for 20 bucks. He's, Congratulations he's are in order there, Hotshot Scott, to Stormy Daniels. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. The most famous porn star of all time, yes. I mean, potentially. I guess yeah, he Ron, is. Yeah, after Ron Jeremy, yeah. No, I think, I think Stormy Daniels is now the most wow. famous porn star of all time for the okay. obvious reasons. Congratulations are in order. She is celebrating her fourth marriage. Quietly married fellow adult film star Barrett Blade. Ask me who Barrett Blade is, Hotshot. <laughs> Who's Barrett Blade? Who, who is guy not really named Barrett Blade? Barrett, that's his real name. Barrett Blade is uh, an actor whose works include Erotic Seductions, <laughs> The Wicked, <laughs> The Naked, and The Naked and Betrayed. So <laughs> congratulations to Barrett Blade and Stormy Daniels. Actually, I thought The Naked and Betrayed wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I, I expected more <laughs> out of that one. <laughs> One of these days, and that day ain't today, I'm going to oh, tell you my God. story about adult film star Jill Kelly and I at, at an adult store. We, we really? both had an appearance there. Oh, nice. At the same time. And I, yeah, I'll tell you that story when we're in person. It was, uh, I stupidly thought I'm, I might have had a shot, but <laughs> turns out, well, uh, I'll tell you that story on another day. Okay. All right. There's a guy in Maine. Now he's a vegan. And so he has a custom license plate that contains the word tofu. Loves tofu, I guess. Loves tofu. Well, his license plate says L-U-V-T-O-F-U. Okay, well, <laughs> because he loves tofu. Well, main officials think oh, he loves to F you. Oh, God. So this poor guy with the long hair who's stayed away from meat and dairy his whole life, loves tofu, has now been told he oh. can't have this license plate. Yeah, because it's considered what? dirty and unacceptable. So he's fighting the state of Maine to get that back. Where are you on tofu, Hotshot? Well, I probably cook it more than most because my wife's a vegetarian. Yes. So I, I'm good with it. I mean, tofu in and of itself is Bland. flavorless, yeah, essentially. Right. Yeah, Takes on the flavor so that you cook with, yeah. Yeah, it soaks up whatever you're cooking with. So I, I'm good with it. I, I love like tofu. It. How about you? I'm a big tofu fan. That might surprise yeah, you. I like yeah, it, too. I like it. Didn't we talk about $2 billion Powerball winner Edwin Castro on the show that he's involved in some lawsuits oh, yeah. about the ticket and who had the ticket yeah, and yeah. did he steal the ticket from somebody else? Well, that's not stopping our, our friend Edwin Castro. He has purchased a $25.5 million pad in Hollywood Hills, <laughs> California. <laughs> Of course he has. That money was burning a hole in his pocket. It, it is one of the biggest purchases, home purchases in the Hollywood Hills area in the history. Oh God. In the history of the Hollywood Hills area. California lottery officials last month named Edwin Castro the winner of a $2.04 billion Powerball from November. He chose the lump sum of $997.6 million. After taxes, that's six hundred and twenty-eight million. So six hundred and twenty-eight million in the bank, and now twenty-five point five million spent on a fourteen thousand square foot Hollywood Gosh. Hills home for Edwin Castro. I mean, have there been any rich people to live in the Hollywood Hills in the past? There've been a few, I right? Think, I think a few. And the fact that this house is ranking up there with like all of them, like holy shit, Ed McMahon or whoever lived up there, you know, Ed nice. McMahon. <laughs> 
Why'd you go with that McMahon? I don't know. I watch Carson every night, so he's on my brain, I guess. That's insane. He, Ed he McMahon, not, of all the he people. Is, well, I, I, I remember his. he had a huge house in the Hollywood Hills. He did. I didn't even know that. It was yeah. foreclosed. Yeah. He lost, lost all it. Trump offered to buy it yeah. and then rent it back to him. And I remember it was a whole thing. I just remember his big house in the Hollywood. Anyway, this poor winner's he's not going to have a dollar in 10 years. I just know it. A $25 million home out of the gate. That's right your move with that? Right out of oh, the gate. Oh, God. <laughs> Burning a hole, that, that money. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Six scientists swallowed leg, Lego figureheads. You picture the little yellow Lego heads. I'm sure you've got yeah. a million in your house at one point. Yes. In order to find out how long it takes to poop them out. Oh, no. I'm just happy to see science finally willing to tackle the big questions. It may sound like a joke, but... It's real. It is a real thing. They really did purposefully ingest the small Lego heads for a study. Uh, he incredibly serious and super important study was published. And um, there's two scoring systems. One called stool hardness and transit or shat. Another one's called found and retrieve time or fart. Honestly, that is what they were called. The point of all this, you ask, Do you want the meaning, <laughs> meaning the podcast <laughs> um, in case of accidentally or indeed purposefully ingesting a bit of Lego, the outcome is usually fine, but parents, you can put parents' mind at rest if you tell them how long it'll take to get through their system. So that's what scientists are doing these Jeez. days. Let's get to the RIPs. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Holy crap. I don't I've have got that six. Many. I've got six, and a couple of them are from last week that I failed to mention with the Graz on episode 230. So I've cheated a little bit, but I brought them back because I wanted to mention them. Let's start with Joe Jarzinka. We didn't mention Joe oh. Jarzinka with the Graz. Forgot about that. Yeah. 45 years old, found on a riverbank near Forks, Washington. I guess a fishing accident. I don't know exactly what Unreal. happened. Uh, very, very sad. Popular kick returner, punt returner for your beloved University of Washington. Never liked to call a fair catch, right? Oh, God. He never, ever would call fair catch. He's either going to you know, take it all the way and house it, or he's going to get his block knocked off. And he didn't care. Would refuse to call it. So rest in peace to him. Mm-mm-mm. Bud Grant, 95 yeah. years old, four Super Bowl appearances. The Vikings coach all those years and the mentor of a lot of coaches over the years, including our very own Pete Carroll and so many others. Bud Grant was 95 years old, longtime head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. The name Joe Pepitone mean anything to you? 82-year-old, yeah, former Yankees first baseman of the 1960s, three-time All-Star. He was a, a focal point of a Seinfeld episode, believe it or not. When Kramer went to camp, you, you're not a Seinfeld guy, Kramer plunked Joe Pepitone... <laughs> On an Jesus. episode of Seinfeld. Is it like a like one of those fantasy baseball yes, camps? Fantasy baseball okay, gotcha. camps. And he came back to describe it and he said, I had to plunk him. He was crowding the plate. Joe Pepitone <laughs> was crowding the plate, so I had to plunk him. That's awesome. I don't know who Lance Reddick is, but you might. Sixty years old, yeah. natural causes actor, the wire, John Wick films. Resident yeah. Evil. Do you know the name Lance Reddick? Yes. Oh, sure. I mean, if, if you watch The Wire, he played the fictional Baltimore Police Department officer Cedric Daniels. So if there's a lot people. Some people think The Wire is the greatest show ever made. So people I out there will it. recognize Lance Reddick. Super skinny guy. You'll totally know him when you see him. And then, of course, he was in John Wick and only 60 years old. 60 years 60. old. 60 years Man. old. And then the name that you would know that I wouldn't. Gary Rossington. Slide guitarist and last surviving member, founding member of the rock band, Leonard Skinnerd. Oh, was I 71 see, I years old. You don't know that name? Ah, okay. That's, too, that's the last 
founding member of Leonard wow. Skinner. Are you a Leonard Skinner guy? You know anything about Leonard Skinner? Big fan. There's a documentary out about them. It's oh. really, really good. Okay. I can't remember what it's called, but you, either HBO or Showtime did it. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, it's fascinating. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan, but I actually like them a lot. I'm yeah. I like who they are and who they were and what they stood for. And watch the documentary. You'll know what I'm talking about. And I have one last RIP that's uh, near and dear to both of our hearts. If you have, do you have anything else? Do you have any other RIPs before I get to the last one? Yeah, I got a couple quick okay. ones. Ed Winter, you'd hear that name a lot. He's the deputy LA County coroner who oh, handled yeah. the death cases and invented yeah. Ed Winter. He's like in every, some of the biggest celebrities in Hollywood. Uh, he passed away. Yeah, he was right there in front of the cameras and like yes. with Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Brittany Murphy, all the big name ones. And I thought this was interesting. On his first day on the job, he was assigned to a notorious celebrity case, the death of Lana Clarkson at the hands of music icon Phil Spector, oh. who was convicted of murdering her. His first day on the job. <laughs> that's what he's doing. Somebody, Phil Spector, the biggest music oh. producer in the world, is accused of shooting. Anyway, he passed away at 73. And then a singer named Bobby Caldwell, he was known for one song you would, rec you would recognize called What You Won't Do For Love. Crank that one up next time you're in the car. It's his biggest hit. He also wrote for Neil Diamond, Boss Gags, uh, Roberta Flack. And he also wrote the number one song called The Next Time I Fall for Amy Grant and Peter Cetera. Oh, that one you would know for oh, sure. Oh, I definitely know that. So I don't know that I know the first one you mentioned. You would recognize But I know it, but that one for sure, yes. When I heard the name Bobby Caldwell, I was reminded of, are you an Ocean's Eleven guy? Uh, I saw it. Okay. I well, wouldn't say that I'm an where... Ocean's Eleven guy, but I saw it. Okay, well, I, I love it. There's a scene where Elliot Gould plays a guy named Ruben. He's like the, the yeah. casino owner. Right. He says, you're Bobby Caldwell's kid from Chicago. It's nice there. Do you like it? Yeah. That's wonderful. Get in the goddamn house. <laughs> you don't remember that? So I heard Bobby Caldwell. I'm like, that's the guy from Ocean's Eleven. You're, but you're Bobby Caldwell's you're kid. I'm just glad that you mentioned Elliot Gould. You know who Elliot Gould was once married to? Oh, I feel like you told me this. And he's got a kid. They've got a kid together. Who? At least one kid, maybe two kids together. Elliot Gould was once married to one of my faves, Barbara Streisand. Really? Yes. I'm surprised that I didn't know that, actually. Yes, I'm I pretty like sure I, I have my facts straight. God, if I mess that wow. up, I'm going to hear from the <laughs> listeners at MitchumMitchumFilzer.com. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, check that. It was Suzanne Summers. Uh, no, it was not that. Suzanne Summers. It was Barbara okay. Schreiber right. and the Schnoz. <laughs> anyway, I don't, know, right. I don't know how to deal with this last one. Our listeners probably, many of them won't know the name Mark Rochelle. If you followed me on social media or any of the old KJR guys, you know the story by now. If you don't, you don't. He was a co-worker of mine and yours, Hotshot, yeah. for many, many years at the radio stations. He was the voice. He was the production guy, the all-around jack-of-all-trades. If not the nicest guy that I ever worked with, one of the very nicest men I ever worked with, he was 45 years old. He lost his battle with cancer. This has really been a tough one for me and all of my co-workers and the entire iHeart radio station family. I know that you knew Mark Rochelle very well. I did. And if you've ever listened to an iHeart station, you've heard his voice. I mean, right. he was a disc jockey on 95.7 KJR. He had his own shift, you know, and then he did like every commercial. I swear to God, every commercial that was on all the stations. And I, you know, I did production behind the scenes. I mean, he got there in 97. I, really? I was like, wow, you really have been there forever. So yeah. People love to do that thing where they go, oh, he was the nicest guy. Yeah. But it really applies to this guy. Yeah. Like always a smile, never shitty, never snarky, never, never anything but nice, man. So, yeah, I loved Mark and 
Yeah, this one really, really hurts. <sighs> he used to put up with me when I used to have to record my spots for like Bellevue BMW and Daniel's yeah. Broiler because it would take me like 45 times to do it each one <laughs> so he'd be in there where it would take like gras or gas like 10 seconds or the time of the spot 60 seconds and they'd be out of there mark Rousseau would see mitch levy coming in it was like oh no <laughs> oh yeah. no yeah. remember the 12 the 12 months of christmas that we used to sing and oh what mitch's melodies and he did he did oh, it all god just a that stuff's so hard to do man just a super super nice guy gone way too young 40 five years old, leaves a wife and two kids, two boys, two yeah. sons, along with everybody else at the old KJR studios and all the other radio stations owned by iHeart in the Seattle area. We send our condolences to the Mark Rochelle family. A very difficult pill for all of us to swallow. Yep, for sure. Great guy. Loved him. Can you take us out with headlines after that or not? <laughs> Are you wow. able to do it? He would want you Mark, to. Mark Rochelle would want you to. I think Mark would, would be cool to. with the shitty transition right now. He would love it. <laughs> a Japanese company earned a Guinness World Record when its employees harvested a giant radish that weighed over 100 pounds. Great job, Japan. Maybe next time, grow the world's largest thing that somebody wants to actually fucking eat. Radish. You have to throw an F-bomb <laughs> in there. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. A Texas woman whose career in radio spans more than 71 years was awarded a Guinness World Record for her tenure in broadcasting. Imagine someone working in radio that long and not doing something stupid to get fired. More of a comment, I guess. But uh, a, a new kind of tea discovered by a Japanese researcher involves brewing the droppings of caterpillars. They look forward to the year 2037 when they'll finally have enough to brew a cup. <laughs> And finally, an 82-year-old Virginia woman is the world's oldest female hockey player. 82 years old playing hockey. What advantage to playing hockey at 82? She already doesn't have any teeth. Oh, I you saw that coming, did I you? I saw that coming a mile away. All right, I've only had one beer, so I, I'll do better next time with more beers in me. Hot Shot Scott, ladies and gentlemen, fresh back from Spokane, Washington, episode 231. Mitch Unfiltered will do better the next time, I promise. Is in the books.